Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business My mirrors are black for you You don't go in the bathroom. <laughs> That's the whole thing, yeah Alright, you wanna get started? Yeah, is it recording? Yeah, it's been recording Okay, cool Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lore. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to another technophobia-inducing episode of Horror Business. I like the idea of technophobia-inducing. I feel like after this, we're going to be like Josh and not own computers or something. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to smash my uh, my Keurig, my phone, my computer. (laughs) Can I go ahead and endorse you smashing your Keurig now in advance? Just like a a Luddite-induced rage, just like... Well, I feel like... I feel like smashing your Keurig could come from... uh, a crisis of taste. Yeah, but it's also sort of because that's kind of a shitty thing to own because they're like yeah. not recyclable at all and sort of horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's also not my Keurig. It's sort of like I got it from my grandfather and was just like, he's just like, what the fuck this? And I'm just like, okay, I, I guess it's mine now. Oh, you got it to make his process of consuming coffee easier. Yeah, yeah. Because and he, he, but he rejects it as any honorable human. He's would. afraid of technology. It's like you got him the implant, and he's like, "But I don't want to join yeah. Satan's army." And you're like, "Exactly." Take the implant, he's one of the Grandpa. people who's like, "Fuck the mark of the beast, <laughs> chop my head off." <laughs> I won't. I won't give into your, your your microchip with the frequency of six hundred and sixty six megahertz. We joke about this, but uh, I've watched. Thanks to Eric Roberts is the fucking man. I've definitely watched a f- couple of films about this topic. Was he in any of the, any of the Left Behind movies? No, but there are plenty of ripoffs of this yeah. of this idea, and that he was in one uh, as well as um, trying to think of the name of the guy who's in it. Who's the gentleman? I think it's the gentleman who's now playing Negan on. Uh, oh, that'd be uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Also, uh, he was also John Winchester in Supernatural and Robert. Was it Robert Blake? The comedian I, I in think, The Watchmen. I, I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in a apocalyptic Jesus movie with Eric Roberts, but I don't. And it's one of those. Uh, the problem with having an Eric Roberts podcast, and we've talked about this before. And you know, listeners, if you don't know, I'm on a podcast with the amazing Doug Tilly. Uh, he designed the Cinepunk site. He's great. He's on uh, Twitter as at Boner Vivant. <laughs> and what's the name of this podcast? Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Yes. It's his podcast. So like, let me be clear. Like I am the guest host. I literally Skype in to his Canadian lair. I've watched it happen. I've, I've, I've sat in the living room and watched Liam talk and then been like, oh, I'm going to go. <laughs> that happened once. He had to go cause he, he had to please himself. So anyways, uh, the, the thing about an Eric Roberts theme podcast is that there's a lot of movies that Eric Roberts is in for money for a brief period of time. So you think like, oh, we're going to watch another Eric Roberts movie, and at least Eric Roberts is in it. But he's not in it. Like, he's in it for like five seconds, like, hey, yeah, the thing, and blah, 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 blah. oh, I'm dead, and that's it. Yeah, and they just like, they bring him in for star star power, quote unquote, <laughs> and then, you know, fucking kill him. The, the It is strange, the ones where it's clear that he is the star, he's the name, because I'm always like, wait, you only had blah, blah, blah amount to spend, and you thought... Eric Let's get Eric Roberts. Like, uh, did fucking uh, I don't know Steven Seagal say no, or who's another? Um, See, but this is the thing. Did that, Jeff Fahey turn down your offer? Like, this is the thing though. That uh, it is not wrong of you to go to Steven Seagal, but it is in the sense of having watched now a few Eric Roberts movies, him being sort of pushed into this action role 
it makes sense in one way and it doesn't. I mean, it, it doesn't because the man never actually learned how to do a fight scene. But <laughs> <laughs> but also it does it because like prior to, it feels like two cataclysms happened. Like Julia Roberts got famous, which was not good for no, his no, ego. Correct me. We, and he developed a drug problem. And those two things seem to have landed him in an area where, you know, when he's doing uh, King of the Gypsies or he's doing... Um, uh, the Pope of Greenwich Village, or he's doing Star Eighty. These are Oscar-worthy fil- films. Runaway Train. Like my man should have been a dramatic star, and then all of a sudden he does both Best of the Best, which are not good. Well, yeah, that's not true. I like the first Best of the Best. The second Best of the Best is ridiculous, but it's not. It's it shows a change in his career, and then at some point things went off the rails. And what's weird is I don't know. Maybe Doug is better at this because he's watched more than me, but I don't even know how to map for you where his career goes from like... Yeah, because correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a period of time where their roles were reversed, where Eric Roberts was the more popular person and Julia Roberts was Eric Roberts' sister. Nobody knew her. She. That's, that's they, what I'm they've saying. They've been in like one movie together. Uh, oddly, the one movie they were in together, I feel like they sat on it and they weren't going to release it till she started to get famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Released it. But um, yeah, it's she just exploded and then it was like... Oh, that guy who's Eric Roberts' brother and or Julia Roberts' brother, and I don't know for whatever reason. I, again, I'm projecting. Maybe this has nothing to do. Maybe his career went off the rails, and it has nothing to do with the fact. Well, now that he's his like sister. daughter's kind of famous too, isn't she? Yeah, this is what I hear. I, I there's a controversy around that too. I'm not going to get into it. Interesting. I would like to. I would like to know more about that because I I like Emma Roberts. She was very good in February or whatever it's called. Now, yeah, with the black coat, black coat's daughter. Suppose there's some issue around um, the 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 word on the streets, or and by the streets I mean the s- shitty websites that follow celebrity things. Yeah, is that she beat up her boyfriend, Emma Roberts? Yes, that she's an abuser. Okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's what's on the internet. Interesting. So I've I've had people who I don't know very well be like, "Oh, you do Eric Roberts." Oh yeah, do you ever talk about his abusive daughter? And I'm like, what are you even talking? I don't know. I don't keep up with TMZ Holy or whatever shit. the fuck. Yeah, I don't know. Hey, none of this has. Anything yeah, I was gonna say. Hard. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you you may have picked up at the very beginning. Today's episode, we're gonna be dealing with the concept of robotic horror. Um, now, I don't mean like. I mean, obviously, robo- the greatest robotic horror film of all time is also, in my opinion, the greatest science fiction film of all time, and that is, of course, James Cameron's classic, The Terminator. Uh, but I wanted to really not Saturn three. Yeah, shocking. Like, <laughs> not 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 Saturn three, or because it's directed by Stuart Gordon, Robot Jocks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we picked the two films we're doing today are 1990s Hardware, directed by Richard Stanley, and then 1994. If only I had a device at my disposal that could tell me anything in the world. I think yeah. it's 1994. It's going to get sick. I think it's 95. The, 95. Fuck it. No, 90. It doesn't matter. And movies that bad, you don't need to know anything about it. So yeah, uh, it's Death Machine, um, starring Brad Dorif and Richard Brake. And also, both movies are doing today, star William Hootkins dying horrible, horrible deaths. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so yeah, before we get into that, uh, I just want to briefly discuss, I wanted to talk about this last time and I completely forgot, um, just some shit we've seen because why wouldn't we talk about it? We're a horror podcast. Did I tell you I saw The Shallows? You did not. I really liked that movie. I'm still iffy on it, but the I'm ending was, glad you liked the, it. <laughs> the ending was horrible. <laughs> like the really shit ending with like her seeing her mom. 
Right. But like most of that movie, like I don't know if it's because I am like the poster child for the generation that was ruined by Jaws. Sure. But like I was watching that movie and like there's the scene and spoilers I guess but the trailer pretty much gives away this movie's about the scene where she's first bit by the shark when she's like surfing and it comes out of the wave like I've had nightmares about that before there were so many shots of the shark where I was like that is like something like I've been the the one time I went in the ocean up to my knees because I don't like the ocean because there are sharks I've had images of stuff in that movie happening to me Mm -hmm. and another thing I didn't like about the ending was she lives and the shark fucks her leg up like it 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 gives her a decent bite and she's a surfer and she's like i have to get through this so i can teach my younger sister how to surf and then it ends and she's like standing on the beach and they're getting ready to surf now i'm not a surfer i don't have passion for this for for surfing sure but if i was a surfer and a shark bit me and almost killed me and then drew me into like a 24-hour ordeal a battle i would never I, i would feel nervous getting getting in the shower you misunderstood though because it's the strength of her spirit that's fine. She would not have even lived if she didn't have that strong... You say strength of spirit. Spirit. I say stupid. Because if I go to the beach right now, if we go to the beach tomorrow and I even see a shark, I'm like, I'm never going in the ocean again. <laughs> like, I don't let... Like, that is a level of, like, stupidity. That is the only time in my life I'll say, if you get bit by a shark and then you go back in the water, guess what? You're asking for it. Dude, she's just not a coward, okay? You know there are people who know about sharks who go in the water every day no, who've been... friend of the podcast out in California, Kelly McDonald, who was a surfer out there in Los Angeles, when I was out there, tried to get me to surf. Her logic for trying to get me to surf was, uncle in the water, there are sharks. Her logic wasn't, there are no sharks. Her logic was, they leave you alone. And I was like, oh, so there are sharks. She's like, yeah, you see them all the time. They just swim around the bottom. I'm like, well, fuck you. I'm not getting in the water. They're fucking sharks. Like, there's... This is just that you look now we're going to have you're basically guaranteeing that you're going to be attacked by shark because what's going to happen is <laughs> I can't allow this much weakness to exist in you. So we're okay. going to have to go and we're going to have to learn how to surf, which, by the way, I consider surfing to be one of the douchier activities one can engage in. Douchey, in yes. Challenging. Uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that, uh, like do to surf unless you're Patrick Swayze, you're probably an asshole. But when I see it, I'm like, I can't do that. I know, but I almost feel like we need to learn how just so that... To help me overcome we, my fear? Yeah, exactly. What, are we going to go out to the woods of the White Mountains in Arizona near Heber where Travis Walt was abducted on November 5th, 1975? So I get abducted by aliens to conquer that fear too? Well, but there are two different things to that. I think with the surfing scenario, yeah, I mean, one of us is getting bitten by a shark. You're yeah. Be, but based upon what you're saying now, I just am preparing myself emotionally to be bit by the... Okay. I'm also the brown one of the two of us, <laughs> so I'm getting bitten by the shark. That's, gotcha, gotcha. That's how that's going to go. The alien thing... I. Yeah, we should go to the woods because that will be a movie about how there's no aliens. Okay. There totally are aliens. <laughs> on to the next thing I want to talk about. <laughs> um, I saw a movie on Thanksgiving night, The Monster. Yeah, you told me about this, and I've seen a lot of people uh, talking about I don't want to get good. I don't want to get too much into it just because I haven't seen a lot of like too much press for it, and I, I, I encourage people to go see it. The basic plot, I really liked it. The basic plot of it is essentially like, imagine Cujo but with a fucking monster. Sure. And like an alcoholic mother and like a weird stress between the, the mother and child. Sure. Um, certain people that I, I watched it with who shall remain nameless didn't really like it because they felt the drama between the mother and the child was a little too 
focused upon in I'll, I'll, I'll meet him halfway and say i don't think the actress who played the mother was a proficient enough actor to really get that across sure but the little girl who plays like the child in it was amazing like i i honestly think that she seriously thought there was a monster trying to kill her and this other woman and they just filmed a reaction <laughs> oh my gosh like it was it was pretty cool so yeah it's just it's called the monster and i it's directed by the guy who did the strangers i don't his name escapes me at the moment but if you get a chance um Definitely check it out. And finally, I finally saw, after being behested by numerous people, finally saw The Green Room. Right. I think it's just called Green Room. Green Room, yeah, Green Room. Um, yeah, that movie is definitely in my top 10 for 2016, possibly in my top five. Have you seen any other uh, Jeremy Saulnier movies? I've not seen, uh, Was he did Blue Ruin, right? He did Blue Ruin, he also did a movie called Murder Party. I want to see that. Yeah, The so it's interesting uh friends of friends of this podcast the final girls i listened to their green room episode mm-hmm. and they were saying oh he's only done dud blue ruin but i don't think a lot of people have seen murder party yeah maybe murder party isn't a full length but i don't know i've seen it on rental services so i feel like yeah, it yeah. Is. and um uh, if i understand murder party correctly i haven't seen it there's okay a, there's a feature on it on cinebunks that i read but i didn't actually finish reading because i was worried it was going to spoil it for me <laughs> <laughs> so i had someone else finish editing it for me because i was like i don't want to ruin this movie for gotcha me. yeah um but uh it's it, it is literally as described like guy shows up to a party that he thinks is uh just going to be a normal party and he's kind of got i think um social anxiety issues so this is already a struggle for him and he gets there and it's actually a murder party and then it's, they just murder people yeah it's yeah and then he's just gonna try to survive and it's uh yo gory over the top ridiculous that movie told. i know that i am quite frail emotionally and i'm not really able to handle too much intense as shit. you demonstrated with your just talk about the shallows yes uh, a movie by the way i was never scared during even once Dude, i got a thing about sharks i'm sorry no that's fine go ahead um I don't know if it's just because, like, I did a lot of thinking about this. I made it about halfway through, and then I was like, I might have to turn this off. And I don't know if it was because the level of violence in that movie, it's not, like, crazy over the top. No, but when it is violent, it's effective. Like, it, it's not very like, it, intense. It, it's also, and I think it is just, like, because, like, my background, I guess, is, like, I grew up in the Lehigh Valley in the late mm-hmm. 90s, I was getting in the punk. When I was getting in the punk, the Keystone State Hammerskins were still a thing. Like, there was a punk house in Allentown that we used to go to for shows where those dudes were like, yo, we know where you are. Like, we're going to fucking firebomb him one night. And it, w- it wasn't like a thing you could just like brush off because you're like, no, these guys are like legitimate like white power dudes who sure. are fucking dangerous. Um, I don't know if it, it maybe it was just that where I was like, wow, I haven't really thought about those days in like a minute. But um, yeah, like it was just like, it kind of reminded me of like, um, sort of like I spit on your grave where it's like y- there's like people who are getting brutalized like the main characters are getting brutalized and you're like man that's really rough but when they like turn the tables on those people like some of the way those Nazis get fucked up is like you can't help but be like Jesus Christ like when that fucking dude breaks that guy's arm and then they like gut him like I don't, I don't feel bad for him because he's a white power supremacist he's a white power nationalist but like yeah, that was rough to watch like yeah, I mean, I am a big fan of this movie too. I I will go ahead and say I don't think of this as a horror movie, and maybe that's not fair um, to the Jeremy who made it, who I got, who I got to meet, and I and I wonder if he thinks of it as a horror movie. I'm not sure. I wouldn't really. I mean, it's tough. I think of it as a uh, exploitation, home invasion, straw dogs yes. sort of thing. Yes. Um, 
but it's he made it i mean i think he very deliberately made it as simple as possible like he was just like we don't need backstories nope we don't need to know motivations we just need the quickest possible setup because i want a movie that's really just about the tension between punks and skins and and not just (laughs) the the, i mean i i will say the skins in the movie are like definitely some poser ass skins like you, you get the feeling that like the skins who are in charge like they at least like have a couple like skullhead records, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The, but the 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 average skin on the floor is like a Pantera fan skin. You yeah. know what I mean? Like the dudes who are just like, I got a bomber jacket, I'm down, and you're like, yeah, like Bro, I like, you don't even know what's yeah. going on. You own the first screwdriver record. Oh, you don't like, yeah. But it, 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 like it, the thing is, is like that the shit where like it was like showing those dudes like lacing up the red laces. Oh, it's so scary. Fuck, man. Like, like that was. Well, I think what's really telling about it, the movie, though, is that um, a lot of people have responded to it, people who loved it and people who hate it, based upon its punkness. But I think the point of the movie is that let's make an invasion movie in a scenario that is frightening. Yeah. And much like yourself, and less so with me, but I think a little bit with me, if you grew up going to shows, you're probably scared of Nazis. And that, yeah. that's the thing. Like, you know, the director grew up in that Northern Virginia, DC, Baltimore area, and there were Nazis at shows, and that was scary. And, like, you know, for me, um, I started going to shows when other people who are in some cases just as scary as the gentlemen in these films, <laughs> uh, they were cleaning up that. So, I, you know, my experience. I think only twice have I actually been threatened by actual Nazis in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. My experience are Nazis are the people that the people I know get in trouble for beating up. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have that level of fear. But that's, again, I was in Philadelphia. If you're in the Lehigh Valley, if you're in other scenes, and especially if you were going to shows, uh, from what I get talking to him, and I, I, you know, I only, I interviewed him one time, so I don't know that much about him, but I got the feeling his show period was like late 80s, early 90s. And yeah, I yeah. Think that was actually a much more intense time in certain scenes where it's like things could really go wrong. Yeah, I mean, there was a period of time when like I said, I grew up in like the tail end of it. There was a period of time where like Allentown was was like the place. Oh yeah. For like oh I the the I didn't want to go to like people would be like oh we're gonna go to the Crock Rock and I'd be like no nah, man I don't <laughs> yeah. want to do that. My favorite memory is at I think Posse Fest two thousand five when Murphy's Law were playing and Jimmy Gestapo made some like super sketchy ass joke and he's like oh like a white power joke and like no one laughs. He's like what no one's gonna clap for that? Oh wait this isn't Allentown. And I was just like, ha! And he was like, that guy gets it. Like, it was like, I don't know if that's something to be proud of, though. <laughs> like, like it, it, it definitely was. I mean, you talk to some, like, older o- older people who've been going to shows around here for a minute. And, like, like the guy who tattoos me, friend of the podcast, John McNeil, was, like, a young, like, little guy who would go to these shows. And they were just like, that guy has long hair. Beat him the fuck up. You know what I mean? Like, it was fucking scary. And then, like, watching this and- movie... The, the, well, but I will say with this movie, it's a li- it's a little bit different, and I think it actually helps the scenario in that they're on tour. It's not like they're seen. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. And I get the feeling that the even having a show is just a pretense. Like this is a group, and we all know this. There are, uh, you know, white power people fucking everywhere. Whether, yeah, whether they know it or not. But in this scenario, it feels like the the skins for whom they are playing, and some of them aren't even skins, but the people for who they're playing. Are, are more interested in the white power part than the skinhead part. Yes. You know what I mean? The, the show is just a pretense to be like, oh, we're going to drink and fuck shit up and whatever, you know? But I think in that sense, it's even scarier for this band. Um, and one of the things I like about the movie is it, 
if you haven't seen it yet, from our description, it makes it sound like, oh, there's these, you know, really righteous, heroic people facing off. But, like, actually, the punk band are kind of assholes, too. They like, fucking open up with, with fucking Nazi punks fuck off. It's true. Like, that's, and that's a ballsy move. But on the same on the same side, like, I really get the feeling that, like, there's he is not. Um, valorizing them. It's not a movie of like heroes versus villains. It's no. like a movie where you definitely choose a side. I mean, hopefully, if you're not an asshole, you choose a side. Yeah. But the side you are choosing and identifying with makes dumb decisions. Like yes. makes mistakes that anyone would make. Like that. That's one of the things I really respected about it is that um, their decisions weren't logical. They didn't. They didn't. Not everything they did is. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I actually think if it had been really planned out, where they were like awesome and they figured out what to do whatever that's not realistic no and that, i mean that's the thing is is without giving too much away because I, I can't advocate this movie enough um there isn't really a happy ending like no, no one's walking like no. e- even the people who survive are fucked for life like e- you know it, it, it's like some of those characters like if like some of those characters if that was like real if that had actually happened and i'm sure some variation of it has are going to be looking over the shoulders for the rest of their life because like, sure. you know what I mean? Like you don't fuck with Nazis that hard and then just get to walk away from it. I will say, uh, there's one thing I will spoil. Um, and, and uh, we, you know, I, I think this is a new enough movie where tr- we try not to spoil it too much, but there's one thing I will say, cause I think it's a positive thing to spoil in advance, which is that the dog does not die. Yes. Thank you, Amy and Carly from the final girls for reassuring me that no dogs get hurt because, I did not want to watch this movie because no one would give me a straight, like, um, Lewis from Jesus Peace, when we interviewed him at This Is Hardcore, he was, like, talking about it. I was like, I don't want to watch the movie because I heard the dog gets killed. He's like, yo, the dog definitely puts in work. And I was like, that's not a, uh, that's not either denial or confirmation that the dog gets killed. I can't fuck with that. And then they were definitely like, no, no, the dog doesn't get hurt. Because, like... See, I get this, and I hear this a lot because I think the killing the dog is an overused trope. It totally is, yeah. On the other hand, bro, John Wick, like... No, and again, I know it's it's sort of a cheesy movie to bring up because, you know, but I'll go to bat for I Am Legend with the dog gets killed in that movie. That is like the one time I can watch a dog get killed and not get like sick to my stomach because it's like that actually like I and I haven't seen John Wick because it's probably going to traumatize me, but maybe I'll give it a shot. Like p- when people are always like, yeah, but like you, you like I Am Legend. I'm like, yes, that's because the dog dying serves a purpose. The dog dying is his sure. only friend and his his last thread to the rest of the world. Like I, I can sit through that, but I can't like the Babadook. I thought that was like so corny how it was just like, oh, there's a dog. Dog was only there to get killed. And they only killed it to be like, look how fucked up she is. I just can't like, or just like. That's so funny that you now on our podcast have uh, defended I am legend and and attack the Babadook. I'm sa- I think it's a valid critic because it's like it's it's the shittiest trope is like we want to evoke a reaction out of the audience and we know that killing the dog will get that reaction. Kill the dog. I get what you're saying. However, I don't care enough to actually be on record defending he, uh, I am legend against the Babadook. Okay. It's a fucking timeless classic based upon Richard Matheson Richard Matheson's other timeless classic. I love the Babadook. That was probably the only thing I had a problem with the Babadook. I'm just saying that was a thing that they did in the Babadook that was sort of like in a movie that had all this other really super intense creepy shit that was like well constructed and like cerebral and like haughty not in a bad way. That doesn't make any sense. 
I'm not making any sense. But in a movie that was in a movie that was filled with genuinely unsettling moments in ways that were like they took time and they built and crafted. I felt that like it was like, oh, just kill the dog was sort of just like, you know, sort of cheap. I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. I think just some people are more sensitive to that than yeah, others. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm overly sensitive when it comes to shit like that, but... I appreciate that. We'll we'll put the Babadook in the category with shark movies and alien movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything else you saw you wanted to uh, mention? Not really. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen anything recently. Oh, oh I... I if people get a chance, they should check out the last episode we did of Cinepunks, um, which hopefully people like. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the movies we talked about is that movie Venom. And because this is the horror podcast, I want to mention on here, it's it's not in some ways like a traditional horror movie. It could play as just an exploitation-y whatever. But any movie with people as intense as Klaus Kinski and Oliver Reed in dire situations, that's I a mean, horror movie. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. If you look at it as a kidnap movie that just happens to have a snake in it, then it's not a horror movie. If you look at it as an animal's attack movie that uses the kidnapping to make it so that they have to be stuck in the house with the snake, it's a horror movie. And yeah. for me, I really see it, especially like Suzanne George, uh, what happens to her in the film, which I will not spoil, though it is a really old movie, so it's not really spoiling it, you idiots. <laughs> but uh, but what happens to her in the film feels more like what would happen in a horror movie, but yeah, whatever. I also like that premise, like like you guys said on that podcast, like it, it, it's interesting that they could have just gone with a, tr- a traditional like snake attack movie, or they could have gone with a traditional kidnap movie where the people don't trust each other, and then they said they combined the two to sort of like negate the weaknesses of both films yeah and i think um anyway so i i think if you like it you know it's a little slow and whatever it's you you have to, it has to be the sort of thing that appeals to you for the chances are the people if i say yo it's got klaus kinski and oliver reed in it the people who care about that at all are probably going to like the movie they may not yeah, love yeah. it but they're going to probably like it um i will say the other thing um i wanted to point out this and again these aren't i feel bad i haven't watched many new horror movies yeah i feel like it's what this segment is usually for but the two things i wanted to mention that i did watch is um i'm working on a piece for cinepunks with uh destiny washington if anybody knows her she i only know her over the internet but she's really great and um we're doing a piece on four religious themed horror movies okay so picked four movies to watch and it's going very slowly because of me i have been having trouble keeping up but yeah so we did um uh, we started with Ganjin Hass, uh, which, if you haven't seen, has a lot of religious themes. And we did The Omen. And then uh, we were supposed to do Thirst. But I thought she meant Thirst, the Park Chan-wook Korean vampire movie. Okay. But she meant Thirst, the Australian vampire movie. So I watched both Thirsts. And um, I just wanted to bring it up on here to say, you should, if you haven't seen either one of those, they're really worth watching. I am, I think, uh, I believe the term is Ozploitation. Yep. Very, very underrated horror genre. Well, I wouldn't even just say horror. I mean, exploitation covers a lot of different genres, but the idea that Australia for a long time now has made amazing movies. There, and there was a golden now, moment where they were making the unbelievable amount of crazy good now, movies. Now, just do you, do you count... It's it's kind of shitty because it'd be like... It, it would be like someone from across the world being like, yeah, Canada, America, same fucking thing. Do you consider like New Zealand horror films... Would you? No, I mean, even when I say exploitation, it's a specific period of time where the output was very high. They were doing a lot of stunts. Um, if I'm trying the um, 
I'm trying to name remember the name of the documentary about exploitation films. Is it um, not just Hollywood or more than Hollywood? Or I'm com- I'm gonna have to look into this because I'm completely unaware of it. Oh man, there's if you go for those of you who are letterbox users, which should be all of you, you idiots. But <laughs> uh, if you if you're a letterbox user, there's actually lists for everything you could think of. So if you go on Letterboxd right now and just search exploitation and specifically look for lists, someone's made a list of like every exploitation movie ever. Like that's I, I need to use Letterboxd more. I feel like an asshole having a horror podcast and not being on there. Well it's it's helpful in a lot of ways. It's helpful for me I mean, I really only started using it for the purpose of creating an end of your list because I would get yeah. to the end of the year and I'd be like, what fucking movies came out this year? What did I see this year? I don't even <laughs> remember. So, and, and inevitably my end of year list would be everything that came out since like September. And, yeah. And someone would be like, oh, what about blah, blah, blah and back in February and I wouldn't remember. So that's why I started using Letterboxd. But it's also been really helpful for me now with tracking movies that I don't know about, I'm interested in, I want to see. And I'm even doing, there's that um, 2017 cult movie challenge. Yes, yes. So uh, someone has created a list where uh, they picked a movie to watch every week that was sort of within the realm of cult movies, sort of broadly defined. The list is fucking crazy. Well, because what they did uh, on Letterboxd, you can make a list, and it looks like there's one version of the list that's just like the posters of the movies, but then there's another version that's actually in list form, and what this person just did is you see their list, what they chose, but they made a category with a description and then a link to someone else's resource so you can pick your own. So I think... When you see it, you're just like, oh, some guy made a list of, you know, 50-some weird movies that he wants to watch. But what he's actually giving you is a resource for you to make your own list. Yeah, yeah. that's what I did. It took me actually a while, but I made my own list for 2017 of each week I'm going to be watching one of these movies that fits into these categories, which, he, you know, it's pretty broad. It ranges from specific directors to film companies to genres to just, like, one actor. Like, definitely one week is just Steven Seagal movies, you know. (laughs) One week is just Jackie Chan movies, but then there's also like 50 sci-fi or, uh, as we said, exploitation um, or, uh, you know, uh, there's a week for, um, what's the company that Stuart Gordon did a lot of stuff for? Full Moon. Full, yeah, yeah, Full Moon. Yeah, I, I don't remember if it's Full Moon or, or Empire. He did both, but I think that the thing for the challenge is Full Moon. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, there's like a Canon Films one on there too. Like, yeah, it it was funny going through and picking some stuff because it made me almost want to just like pick one of the lists that was covering a topic and and just just go through that. Yeah, you know, there's uh, if you really take Canon, not just when because when we say Canon Films, everyone really thinks uh, Golden Globus Productions. Yeah, yeah. When the two Israeli brothers took it over, but. Canon made films for 20 years before that. So the list on Letterboxd is the full Canon oh, yeah. output. And the variety from the first Canon film to the last Canon film is such a broad, weird variety of movies. And even even during the time that they were just throwing money in any script that they could come up with, there's so many cool, weird things in there. It just makes... I, I guess what it boils down to is... Um, and I think this is different for everyone. There are plenty of people, the way that they are, their adventure through film is that they sort of just figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Like they decide. But someone creating parameters for me and me having to look at this list that they've made and think like, oh, these are the things in this list that I'm interested in. And it gives me like a focus is a lot of fun. It, at least for me, because I, sometimes I feel very random. Like it, it's, it's, 
I I agree with people who say like Netflix has actually limited our options instead of expanded them. Like I yeah. get that perspective, but if I'm just sitting here and I don't have anyone with me and I'm going to choose what I what I'm going to watch right now, if I don't have something in my mind like oh I I've been meaning to watch A or I have a pile of this, it's yeah, actually hard for me mean. to choose. Sometimes I'm like I don't know. I mean, there's a million things. I I I, I mean. Again, not saying that Netflix isn't limited, but I also don't just have Netflix. I have Shutter. I have uh, a database of stuff. I have a bunch of uh, you know hard copies of Johns. I've got you know Fandor. You know, it's again. I'm not saying there's too many options because when you do have a specific thing you want to see, a lot of times you can't find it. Yeah, it's like I remember when iPods first came out, and I remember I got one when I was in college, and it was like walking I, there were so many options it was like do i want to listen to emperor do i want to listen to e- you know ellie golding like what do i want to listen to and by the time i made up my mind i would have walked from my apartment you know what i mean like sure. you get nothing done if there's no parameters so it's like i i know what you mean like if there if there's there's got to be a limit to your options so there's you can have a specific pool to pick from and with music i mean it's a short enough experience that i'm one of those assholes who often will just put everything on random and like drive people crazy because they're like your ipod just went from elliot smith to uh disembodied and i'm like yeah well <laughs> that's just my life yeah now that's how it listen, is now we're gonna listen to solange get fucked yeah you know, like that's just how it is um, okay, well, we're talking about a lot of different things, but uh, I do want to give us some time to talk about the movies. Absolutely, yes, yes. So we... Uh, why why, why this... Talk a little bit about why you chose this topic before we switch to talking about the movies. Honestly, if I could... I, I, I've wanted to do an episode on Death Machine for a minute. Okay. Just because that movie is like the cinematic equivalent of like macaroni and cheese for me. It was... That's so funny. Because it was one of those movies I used to watch... Um, a little it was one of the things that got me like actually involved in horror movies was um, when I was a child I had my dad's youngest brother my uncle Mike was often he was a he was a drug addict so he was often living at my grandmother's when he was like in recovery and all that and when I would go over there um, he was like the young cool uncle like sure he died at the age of like 29 sure. you know, he also got me into like Metallica and it was sure. like he was just like the type of guy who I'd go over there and like you know He'd be like, hey, we're watching like Dawn of the Dead. Do you want to watch that? And I'd be like, yes, yes, I do. I do want to watch Dawn of the Dead and Project Metal Beast and whatever. And one of the movies we watched the one time was this movie, Death Machine. And it honestly scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Like, well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it later because you watch it now and you're like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, this isn't. Yeah. But it's like, there, there are scenes, like, just the idea of this, this robot used to, like, scare the fuck out of me. Um, and then, you know, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm like, hu- I've I've been a huge Terminator Terminator fan ever since I was a kid, and I wanted to do um, an episode that was just about, you know, technology going wrong. Sure. And uh, I figured, you know, like Death Machine would be the perfect one for that. And then I picked Hardware, uh, just because it's like a similar has a similar feel to it. Um, and plus, I, I just like the idea of like no one knows where the robot comes from in like hard in, in hardware. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, and you it, hadn't seen it before. right? I'd like, never seen it. Now. Like yeah. I was, I was familiar with it. I know of its existence, and it was one of those things I'd been meaning to see. Um, but I just thought the idea of like a robot that served no real purpose other than to kill like unknowing people, um, you know, not like fucking chopping ball, where it's like, you know, it's like you know, technology meant for good goes like horribly astray. I, I mean, like the idea of like. These are robots that are designed to kill from the gate. Sure. Um, and I didn't, you know, I could have picked Terminator, but I didn't want to because I don't want to watch, you know, Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton have sex 
I've never heard someone boil Terminator down just to that sexy. That's effect. what that movie is. That's what that movie is. Linda Bean. <laughs> Linda Bean. Michael Bean and Linda Hamilton conceiving. All right. Well, we're going to take our first break, and then we'll come back and discuss hardware. Right? We're going to talk about hardware, yeah. All right. Uh, come Stay on back. Tuned. You've always been my favorite subject. Oh, Jesus. Oh, wow. What's that? There's a droid running crazy in my lounge. Ah, that's okay. We can go to my place. Don't! You don't want to keep these closed. You won't be able to see Santa Claus come. Liam, this is what you get. This is Liam just told me that Sex Pistols are better than Public Image Limited, which makes him a certified loon who belongs <laughs> up in Togus with all the other loons. I don't know what Togus is, but I, the, yeah. you fucking stand by me. All your fathers uh, are gonna get a call from me, except for the loon up in Togus. Oh my gosh! So anyway, now that I'm like worked up, here's here's the thing. It's fine that you feel that way, but you're wrong. Okay, that's fine. It's fine that you feel that way, but know that I think less of you now, because you're you support posers. <clears throat> anyway, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about 1990s Hardware, which is a British American science fiction horror film written and directed by Richard Stanley and starring Dylan McDermott. Now, when did you first hear about Hardware? Um, I want to say I became conscious of it. Like the first time I remember hearing about it, I was probably high school, maybe, and I w- I would always see the poster. I always remembered was it's a poster. It's just a close up of Dylan McDermott's eyes, uh-huh. and it has the title, and it says, "In the future, yeah, uh, it's like in the future, mankind is the endangered species." Which, when you watch the movie, makes no fucking sense because they reveal that there's actually like too many people. Yeah, but you know what I mean. But that poster, I always like, what is that about? And then um, they did like a, they like remastered, they released it a couple years ago and they like remastered it and did all this like crazy shit to it. And um, it's just been one of those things that like on my, Am- like it, it always on Amazon, it's like recommended for me because you liked, because you like the Terminator and Death Machine, you'll like hardware. And I was like, okay, I'll check it out. Like it seems like uh, from what I've read about on the internet, it's like, it's, it's a very, um, it's like a definitive cyberpunk classic. It really is. And, and I want to spend some time unpacking that a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit about um, it's a film that I have seen parts of like a lot of my life. Like I've seen it on, I think it played USA up all night and it played yeah. various. So I've, I've seen parts of it, but I, I thought I had watched it. Like I thought, Oh yeah. Hardware. I've seen that. And then 
<clears throat> um, at Fantastic Fest, they premiered that documentary about Richard Stanley. You know, okay. the uh, Lost Souls or Island of Lost Souls. That was the about his the insanity that was the uh, him make. He also Richard Stanley. For those you don't know, is the guy who was initially hired to to do the um, the Brando version of the Island of Doctor Moreau, and then right. it went into this insane clusterfuck of just massive proportions. And if you haven't seen the documentary, check it out because it's like. I could describe some of the shit that happened on the set of that film, and you would think I was like just making it up, right? But it actually, like, it actually happened. It's it's a good documentary. I mean, a few people involved have said well, it's not the full story, but of course it's not the full. Who gets the whole? I don't want to know story? the full story because I know a little bit, and it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so because of that, um, <clears throat> at that screening, they gave it was the premiere. Was that Fantastic Fest? Richard Stanley was there to talk about okay. the movie. Everyone who went to that first screening got a Blu-ray copy of Hardware. So I thought I had seen Hardware, and I get this Blu-ray. And then a couple years ago, I used to do uh, a feature for Synapse. uh, That's C-I-N-A-P-S-E. I I used to do a feature for them called A Journal of Fear, which I was kind of doing for Cinepunks, but I didn't do it this year. We did other stuff. Um, And so it was just like a regular column around horror films in October. And I was like, oh, I'll do hardware. And then I watched hardware and realized, though, there were definitely things I had seen before. I had not seen the whole movie. It was like a total like, oh, shit. And that happens sometimes with – it's one of the things I like about doing this uh, podcast or even doing a feature on horrors. There's certain horror films that I think like, oh, I've seen that. And then I rewatch it. And maybe I have, but I don't yeah. remember it at all. That's And that was my experience of watching Hardware. That was like three years ago. I've, I, I think I rewatched it. And then so when you suggested it, I was like, oh, yeah, Hardware. Because it's <laughs> so weird. So let's talk about I, <clears throat> the movie. We open up with this desert wanderer, who, by the way, is played by Richard Stanley. Oh, that actually is Richard Stanley? And I, the look he has in the movie is sort of duplicated in the only other movie he did that I know people have often seen is a movie called Dust Devil. Okay. Um, this movie, Dust Devil, is a little bit weird. Uh, aesthetically, it's like a weird desert meets goth thing that I, I don't have time to talk about. But <laughs> hardware is this... The reason I want to focus in on this is this guy shows up and it's that weird thing. You know, this is from 1990. And in 1990, there's this moment where uh, your goths, your cross punks, your costume punks, your industrial whatever the fucks, your. And then I guess in theory, there's this cyberpunk thing, which I think was. B- completely manufactured. No one was ever actually a cyberpunk. But yeah, it cyberpunk was like Billy was like Idol. A, Billy Idol for one record was a cyberpunk, and that well, was it. it. But it really developed first as a kind of writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much like splatterpunk was actually, you know, uh, people have used the term splatterpunk before. That was really started with a form of writing. Cyberpunk was a kind of sci-fi that then uh, leached into music and culture and art and all kinds of stuff. So when you see this dude, it's just this like core of leather that this like core leather identity that then branches off that dude could have been a ministry fan he could have <laughs> been a fucking uh like uh world inferno friendship society fan <laughs> he could have been you know, yeah. any number of things yeah i i i, I just think uh 
you know, in a movie where fucking Lemmy plays a cabbie, Iggy Pop is the radio dude, and they actually fucking have a ministry song playing over, over live a live footage of war, <laughs> and, and, the, and the theme song of the movie is, is a fucking... Uh, um, Public Image Limited song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, is a pill song. Then, like, seriously, like, this is a movie that is at very minimum punk adjacent, so it's worth talking about the imagery of it. And, you know, 1990, there is this thing, this, like, apocalyptic future quote-unquote punkness which is so far like you know in a lot of things we like in 1990 dudes had like sharp haircuts champion sweatshirts on and I, yeah like this is the whole other world this is like this is this is like I, I mean when i was a kid when i was like a little kid i'm talking like under the age of 10 my perception of what a punk was was oh guys who look like bebop bebop and rocksteady before they turned into animals <laughs> like I was. I thought you would go at least with Star Trek Four, oh, or yeah. <laughs> or like or like the, the the you know like the the gang from like Return of the Living Dead, guys yeah, with names yeah, like yeah, Trash yeah. and yeah. Gar- you know what I mean like yeah. like I didn't understand that there were actually people who, you know, and we we had talked about like one of the virtues of the of of Green Room was that those are actual punks, but the thing that's amazing about like the the aesthetic of hardware yeah. is that. It's also very punk because, like, there right. were like, you know, the older I got was like, oh no, I realized like punks are just like kids like me and my friends. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, no, there actually were people in like Los Angeles and New York and Chicago who looked like characters you would fight in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. Right. You know, they would like skank around and like whip chains and have like tall mohawks and like, you know, they were like trench coats and you know would like kill you. So these are definitely like his image when you see this this wander in the desert played by Richard Stanley. It is like a fucking. Uh, trench coat, KMFDM fan, yeah, wet dream. Yeah, you know like, what I mean, it's like if he had f- headphones on, like fucking prong would be blasting. Like I swear to God, people saw this movie in 1990, and this determined their style for at least six years. Oh yeah, like I, I like when he comes, I see him in the desert in the beginning of this movie, and I just I'm like, man, South Street, 1993. You know yeah, what I mean, like that's it's like a, it's its own thing, and uh, you know we're harping a lot on what is just a couple of outfits in the movie, but I think it actually determines an attitude to the film, which is um, there's a hard edge to the film in that it's a movie about a killer robot. The robot is self-healing and it's it's here to exterminate people. And that's like the hard edge. But there's also like a weird softer vibe to it, like a weird artistic, all those industrial influenced, very leather clad sort of bands they all had a little bit of like a drop in acid and being in the desert edge to Which it. Which is, I think, exemplified by the character Shades. Yes. Who was very like new wavy and yes. like, you know, hey, I'm just going to listen to like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm blank. I feel like an... Oh, sure. yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, but yeah, you know, he's like, Joy Division, man. New Order's the new shit. Like, you know, at one point, he's literally unable to like help the main character because he's high off his ass. He's so high. he's so fucked up. And Dylan McDermott's like shades not now, and he's like, whatever, man. I'm in God's asshole right now. He didn't say that. That's a quote I made up. But you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, I I think he 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 also like yeah. Shades as a character is definitely like he sort of softens like the fucking hardness that like you know Dylan McDermott brings to it. So let's let's start off talking a little bit about the movie i mean it's it's set in a world this is the other reason why i think i'm harping on aesthetics a little bit the movie starts and immediately i'm thinking like heavy metal magazine like yeah yeah some, yeah yeah some post-apocalyptic comic where like 
we we the world is familiar enough that there are you know factories and apartment buildings and stacks and 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 a desert but it's like they keep talking about the big one like there was already a nuclear something happened yeah this is definitely like this is definitely uh post apocalyptic in a very literal use of the phrase like yes there was clearly some like humanity has definitely not been stamped out by it, it's not like they're like on the brink like they make it very clear that there are too many people and i don't know if there's just too many people for the amount of resources that they don't have but this yeah. th- there, there's definitely still like restaurants radio stations there's still like some kind of economy well but but it's still harsh in that like everything you see is that sort of um uh, Judge Dread influence, yes, uh, or even that just that comic company, the whatever that is, um, 2000 AD or whatever, yeah, 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 yeah. inspired just grime, or even heavy metal inspired uh, and by heavy metal, I mean the magazine inspired grime of a future where everything is dirty and gross. And the so, what we have is we're introduced to first, um, this desert wanderer finds this robot in what is clearly an area he's not supposed to be. It's like a testing. There's like landmines and shit everywhere. Yeah, like, yeah, and it's, it's just the robot's head, which uh, is he, so he, weird. But he digs up the shape of the body. Oh, there's the, there, there's the hand too. The yeah. 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 So then we're interested to other characters who are scavengers. I mean, that's their job. And it's like, it's pretty clear. There's your options are basically military or scavengers. And the one shades is trying to talk Dylan McDermott's character who has face tattoos that go away. So I assume yeah. they're, he takes a shower and they're gone. I guess it's just like face decorations, not tattoos. But he's trying to convince him to go to New York. And the way he's talking about New York, like, like <laughs> this is great. You know, it's like, oh, there's so much scrap there, whatever, whatever. And he's like, no one's ever going back. So, like, we are in a future in which I don't know if they're in L.A. I get the feeling they're in L.A., they're def- they're which def- is a desert. Yeah, they're, they're definitely, like, not East Coast or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're talking about going to New York because now this is what's so crazy about the way he's talking about it, if you really think about it they're talking about escaping to new york new york is like the dream place to go because it's so abandoned and so dead that they can steal all the scrap they want yeah. to make money like that's what we're talking about is like oh there's this giant rotted corpse of a city that no one lives in anymore we can go and rip out all the copper pipes and <laughs> yeah. then we'll finally be what rich i don't know yeah and, and, and i and i just love that like despite the fact that there's still enough of a society for there to be like a radio show and some semblance of an economy um like iggy pop is the radio guy he's like yeah we yeah. got a high of 120 degrees today and blah 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 and the good the, the good news is there is no good news you assholes and then they just they play motor or no no that's not when they play motorhead but like it's just it's 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 sort of like it's very like hard edged and grim and then there's like the sort of black humor that Iggy Pop's character brings to it as the is radio it, DJ. Is it also Christmas? Is this a Christmas movie? Do they talk about Christmas? He says that there are there's a um there's a ceasefire for the holiday. Because it's Christmas, yes, yes, yes. That's why he goes out of his way to buy. So what happens is they go to their uh, junk dealer dude, a uh, 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 little person. Played by an extra who I recognize from the movie Willow. Yeah, sure. And um this other desert guy who looks again like uh, a fucking ministry cam fdm and uh I, I thought that was scott glenn under all that stuff for whatever reason but that's neither here nor there no, that, this, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what it, I, I was like if that turns out to be scott glenn i won't be surprised at all no it's definitely richard stanley played the that character which kind of makes sense but uh he brings in the droid and then dylan mcdermott is trying to make some extra money so he buys the droid for what he thinks is like nothing yeah um and then he pretends he found the droid so he can sell it and then the money that the 
broker dude offers him is not enough. So he he sells him part of the droid, but he keeps part of it because it yeah. wasn't enough money for him to think it was worth it. And he brings it home to his girlfriend, who he hasn't. He's been out for a while, and this is another thing in the movie that kind of gets glossed over. His girlfriend thinks he's in the military. And that's why he goes away for long periods of time. But he's actually a scavenger. He's actually a scavenger. He got decommissioned from the military for they never tell you why. Well, isn't his nickname? It will yeah, because his he has a reputation. Like they definitely like he definitely like they know like that little the little trader guy knows who he is. So his uh yeah his his nickname is uh, Hard Mo. His name is Mo Baxter, who's known as Hard Mo. For uh, he has he's a former soldier, sure. And they don't. I don't think they they dive into his past, but it should be noted he's missing a fucking hand. He has so a he robot probably hand. saw some shit that made him like sure. He probably earned the nickname Hard Mo is like what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, and he definitely has a robot hand, which yeah. is awkwardly done special effects wise, but you know it's yeah. it's kind of a cool character trait. So, anyways, um, he has a girlfriend who is an artist. She lives in one of these like. It's it's it looks like she lives in this tenement building, but she's on the higher floor, so her apartment's kind of nicer. It's got this intense security system. Yeah, and she never leaves. She just does. Uh, she does like sculpture stuff, and she lives on welfare, and she never leaves her apartment. And um, based upon dialogue in the movie, she thinks he when he's gone for so long, he's on deployment in the military, but he's actually out in the forbidden zone or whatever the fucking wastelands the just like wastelands like scavengering various metal bits to sell for money yeah um so he brings this home to her and it turns out the droid that they find is this like self-healing it's it, like it's cool because when 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 the, the trader who sold it is like looking up the diagnostics on it it's this like revolutionary self-healing robot that is they never out and out say it but it's alluded to the fact that these things were created for population control. Yeah, uh, the girlfriend at least suggests that, and then um, that's confirmed later. Because it, it literally... You know, spo- spoilers, we will talk about the end of the movie, yeah, but it's I mean, confirmed later. This thing literally has, like, its one hand is like this, like... It, 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 first of all, it has, like, walrus tusk needles. Yeah, so it has... They talk about it. Um, it has... Uh, it, it really has, like, 12 arms. Yeah. It has six big arms, which... The robot that comes to life and starts killing people doesn't have six arms because it's gone through. It's like been exploded or something, so it has yeah, less yeah, arms. Yeah. But the original design has six big arms and then six smaller arms that do repairs. It's got two needle tusks that come out from the front of it that have like various poisons, very deadly poisons. Yeah, and then each of the hands can detach and move around, and they have poisons. And then it has uh, in the original design, it doesn't actually have all these weapons that are in the movie but what happens is it's self-repairing so she has the head the head when it gets a little bit of juice starts to self-repair yeah and it just takes any sharp objects in her apartment and, and uses fucking them. makes like, i remember watching it being like it's not that futuristic that he just has a fucking axe ha- handle or, or yeah but, buzzsaw but it's like no that wasn't in the original design the robot just goes all right well i'm putting myself back together here's an axe here's a saw here's something i can kill people with yeah like exactly. here's, a, here's a butter knife i'll sharpen later <laughs> like and uh yeah and i mean it, there's just i th- i think that's what is is kind of like the and they never explain who made the robot they never explain like well they, we find out at the end well in the end it's like oh they're they're amping up production of the mark 13 um, which is the robots? It's the Mark Thirteen. Yeah. Um, New jobs for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, 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 I, I think that is like the, the real, like terrifying thing about this movie is like 
they find a robot head in the desert, buried in the sand. They bring it back to the city, and it immediately starts making... It immediately starts preparing to just fucking kill everybody. Meanwhile, um, so where this uh, Dylan McDermott's lady friend lives, uh, it's in this apartment building. It's very high up. Uh, there, We are introduced to the security of the building, which is an old man and his grandson who just play chess, chess. in the basement yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, like have guns. And that's like all. That's all they do. like the police force. And then she has a neighbor across the way. Oh, my God. Played by. Oh, fucking. Okay. William Hoodkins who you might know as Porkins from Star Wars. Sure. Uh, Sergeant Eckert from Batman, the Tim, yeah. Tim Burton's Batman. Yeah. yeah. And he's also in the next movie we're going to talk about, Death Machine. I mean, we if you look at his IMDb, which is what we should be doing, uh, he's in a bajillion movies. He did a lot. He does a lot. He did a lot of voiceover work from what, from what I remember, too. Yeah, definitely. And he did a lot of TV. Like, he's, he's a work. He, uh, he was. I think. I don't think he he's passed alive. away in yeah, 2005. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he was a working actor. And I mean, fucking working yeah. actor. But this role. He, he, okay. Every word that comes out of his mouth is fucking disgusting. Like, he was seriously. He turned. Like,. Oh my god! The shit he says is like stomach turning. Like basically, he's like he 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 watches he watches this woman have sex with her boyfriend, Dylan McDermott and his girlfriend through a, a like a, like a infrared scope. Yeah, camera. He's like he's film. He's like both filming and taking pictures of them. I feel like, and he's wearing rubber gloves, which is like oh my god, my gorge is rising. There's all these close-ups of his sweaty mouth, his as jowls, he, as he like he's like yeah, fuck it, yeah. take that big dick. It's like uh, you know what it is. It's like if. If if it's like the the '90s porn star Jeff Stryker, if they hired him to do the calls in Black Christmas, oh you know Black God. Christmas when they pick up the phone like yeah. you fucking bitch, you fucking dumb, you wet pussy. Like it's like if Je- it, 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 that's what it sounded like. Like it's just this guy like yeah, take that dick. Oh, you like that, don't you? Oh, I, I don't even you like, like you reacting. It's, it. it's so, so dude, I'm, I'm gonna take a fucking shower with steel wool when I get home. <laughs> oh God, it's like, so and and, and he's it's 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 a weird it's. <sighs> It's actually a weird storytelling move because you could have a whole movie. But this dude is not just a freak. Like you really get the feeling that he's probably going to murder her. Like he would oh, yeah. really like to murder her, maybe some other people. So for a movie that's really just a killer robot in an apartment, there's some layers here. You've got uh, Dylan McDermott and his life uh, as a scavenger and whether or not he is you know irradiated there's all this radiation talk there's their friend shades and you really get the feeling that something might be going on between shades and dylan mcdermott's lady friend you think name it there's like a weird tension there i think shades likes her i think shades likes her but i just i just i mean the scene where she does like the geiger counter on him sure and she's like how you been shades that was just sort of like the way that like i don't know like well i think she's also doing that to mess with the like the whole first part she's clearly mad at him because he's been gone for a long time and finally through giving her gifts she decides to like here's just a robot head and then they have a you know a mostly awkward sex scene i thought that was a very tender set i mean all right here's the thing about it when i was watching that sex scene i was like i don't need to see dylan mcdermott fuck someone with a robot hand not that he fucks her with the robot hand i don't need to see dylan mcdermott with a robot hand i don't need to see him fucking a dylan mcdermott's a very attractive guy but it was just weird but then when fucking William Hookins opens his mouth, it kind of dropped that down, and I was like, okay, Dylan McDermott fucking is no longer the worst thing about this movie. Yeah. Show more of him and less of fucking William Hookins' sweaty, shiny jowls. Oh my God. It's, anyway. So, it, um, yeah. William Hookins is 
you know, fantasizing about her. He's been taking pictures of her. The, the, his apartment is filled with weird things. And he do the pr- he would like prank phone he, like, call her. Prank calls her all the time. Talk about shoving. There's gross. There's all kinds of gross sex stuff there. And then oh at a certain point, right at the point where the robot is like, "I'm alive and I'm going to kill some motherfuckers," who can just shows up. Yeah. And then, which is. On one hand, insane, but it, he immediately goes from one to fucking. He goes from zero to sixty when it comes to sexual harassment. Yeah, like, he's he's just there, like, oh hey, yeah, just um, pawing at her robe, and she's like, look mildly annoyed, like, no, I would be like, get the fuck out of here, like. So it turns out he installed all the security systems. She has this, so we haven't really properly described her apartment. Her apartment is like this weird mix of like nineties um, urban chic with like. Again, cyberpunk. Like when we say cyberpunk, I realize we have some younger listeners, so they're not picturing. Yeah. You know how you know how um, with steampunk, everything looks stupid. Everything sucks. <laughs> everything it's like everything is like made of wood and brass for no reason. Yeah, and, and it's like make things look old or whatever. The thing about cyberpunk is like make things look futuristic but like you really beat them okay. up imagine instead of taking inspiration from the will smith film wild wild west you took your inspiration from blade runner yeah but it's like again it, some of the tech in this apocalyptic future is futuristic but it's it's like the stuff in the shitty part of blade runner you know what i mean like, yeah, it's like her keyboard is unnecessarily clunky her security system it's futuristic because she can do all this stuff or whatever but it's also looks even old for 1990 like I, I think this is sort of the cyberpunk thing is like I fused all this shit together and now it's like yeah. this thing you know there's it's not this is why in fact I would suggest it's only because the cyberpunk chic happened in the ni- in the early 90s that we now have the fucking uh, let's call it abortion of <laughs> ste- steampunk because that, yeah. the whole idea of put because people say all the time like what is punk about steampunk I'm like well it's because of cyberpunk yeah and all cyberpunk was uh, you know we've sort of tried to paint an aesthetic picture and, and tie this movie to actual real people's lives who like punk rock but in a real way cyberpunk was just like edgy sci-fi a lot of sci-fi had a glean to it it was yeah. utopian so the sci-fi that's like oh i'm trying to get on the net in a dirty alley so i don't get killed you know yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever whatever like just read snow crash and you'll know what i'm talking <laughs> about whatever so uh back to her apartment she has this ridiculous console that takes up almost the entire apartment that's just her security system yeah and her security system could like keep someone out well now she's like trapped in there with this goddamn robot because it's draining the energy to power itself yeah the robot tries to kill her but she doesn't really get a good look at it so she's still a little confused as to what's actually happening and then fucking masturbate with a rubber glove who can who shows, can shows up? up and uh <laughs> he's like acting like he's gonna help her but you can tell he's, he's wearing, wearing eyeliner first of all he just wants to rape her basically it's disgusting and you know uh don't don't fear he doesn't actually this just doesn't turn no. into some sort of sexual assault he movie he gets fucked up by this robot the robot has uh, attached some sort of drill which is for killing but it also seems to function in the movie like, it's like a phallic his, symbol it's his penis yeah. basically and so not only does he uh, attack hookins he then fucks he gives hookins all of his dick dude he grab okay first off he grabs hookins by the face crushes his fucking head and then just mutilates them. And is it gruesome to watch? Yeah. Does Hookins deserve it? Certainly. Because who the fuck knows what Hookins was going to do if that robot right. hadn't stepped in and right. like just ripped him apart? I, I mean, it, it's also like kind of funny because like it just like that that was the thing that I loved is that the robot was just like it was literally like 
it was attacking like anyone that it fucking saw. Yeah, it it has heat vision, and it basically just anything that is a warm signal, it goes after. It just tries to kill it, and which is like, which I think is like more dangerous than like, like that was the thing that like as like scary as the Terminator was. I remember watching that when I was little. I was like, okay, if it doesn't want to kill me, as long as I don't fuck with it, it'll leave me alone. Yeah, if, this you, make, was, if you make it personal, it makes it a little less. Yeah, scary. this is this is this is just like it like. It was just like randomly killing anything that was warm, and uh, you know that that's that becomes it's it, it's, I guess attraction to warmth and like heat becomes kind of a plot point. Um, I didn't realize that. Do they talk about like? Do they mention it's like aversion to water early on? Yeah, in the, movie? In, in the very beginning when he's hearing about all the different functions, they also say like discontinued because of its sensitivity to water. Okay, so then that's, like most robots are. Well, but I think it's particularly sensitive gotcha. to water. Gotcha, okay. And then the idea is when they announce that they're making these things at the end, it's like, oh, the new and improved. So the idea is like, not only are they actually making these self-healing death machine, death machine is the other movie, but <laughs> it, making these self-healing killer robots, but they fix the water problem, which they is They fix really, the one thing that will give us an edge over It's them. like the only thing that like helps her. Like yeah. they shoot this thing, they blow it up, they hit it with they various- sh- they, they push it out of, like they, they shoot it out a window, like- They hit it with baseball bats, which is probably the least effective of those yeah. options. But, um, and, and so uh, I don't want to spend too much time just completely unpacking the plot, but basically uh, the, the film takes unexpected turns- there's a moment that feels like the climax that is not the climax. There's the scene that kind of felt like um, it's when I don't know if we should spoil it. I, I mean, so, let's just let's just say we're we're there's there's spoilers for this movie, um, and that's just to talk about. It. We won't get into all the details, but suffice it to say, the the robot has a poison that they describe as a hallucinogen. Yeah. So basically, when you're dying, you're like having the, the most insane trip ever. So when one character is dying, it's sort of this like altered states level hallucination and i was watching it and i'm like okay like i thought the climax just happened and now this is happening is the robot like i i honestly didn't know if it was going to be a turn that the robot was just like no i'm not going to kill you i'm going to give you this thing to and then you're like no that guy's that person's actually dying no i mean this is what is makes this movie interesting and i and i think frustrating for some people is that richard stanley is not uh, yeah It'd be really easy to say this is just a sci-fi horror movie in which there's a killer robot, and that's you know maybe that's a proper description of Death Machine, but that is um, the exactly what yeah, Death yeah. Machine is. So Richard Stanley is so much more than that. I mean, that's what you get when you get to Dust Devil, which is like a movie that's kind of like about magic, but it has the same sort of weird leathery feel, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, but with with hardware, it's clear Richard Stanley is into again. Um, abstract magical interpretive yeah, i mean there's like a, there's i mean there's a clear like wizard of oz fucking re- callback in the movie when was that the, during that sequence oh yeah 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 okay yeah. okay um there's just a lot of uh how do i want to put this there's a lot of artistic interpretive choices for a movie that's like 
people trapped in an apartment with robots. Yeah. That's the whole fucking movie. And there and there are those sequences that are just like chases. And not, not chases, but like tense, like, oh, trying to get away from the robot, whatever. But there's also a lot of interesting shots, a lot of weird slow motion, a lot I of like- I love the choppy slow motion. Even like movie. when she's working, when the, one of the clear moments in the movie that shows that this movie is more than just what you might think it is, is when she's working on her art and putting the robot head into her art. Yeah, yeah. She's listening to the- uh, ministry song and we're pretending it's a guar song <laughs> and uh, you know she has this video on and all this stuff is going on um, or in other words I just think there's a lot going on with Richard Stanley as a director in this movie that is about um, not telling a linear story but giving a little more texture and a little bit more like interpretive framework to no, it. it it definitely is a movie that is very big on imagery Um you know, like we've been saying, it, it has a certain undeniable aesthetic that I, I can't quite put my finger on. I mean, I keep going back to like maybe Blade Runner or sort of like Mad Maxi, Mad Max E, not like oh, there's a TV show called Mad Maxi. Like, like, <laughs> but like, I mean, it, it, it's definitely there's it's a very stylish looking movie, but it, it, the style, the style, the stylishness doesn't overpower the actual story. And not that this is like a fucking, you know, milestone in filmmaking, because it does have a relatively simple plot like this. Very. Robot. I mean, but I mean, it, and, 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 and it doesn't accomplish that much. If, if you are looking for like straight up scares, it's not a very scary. No, no, no. I mean, it definitely. I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it's not scary. But I mean, I, I definitely also think that I don't mean to pick apart Richard Stanley's hardware and find like metaphors in it. But I mean. It, it sort of has like the same lesson uh, that films like The Terminator have. Like, sure. you rely too too much on technology, and it's going to fucking kill you. And in this one, they they keep talking about like sterilization and how there's too many people and population control. And then, you know, the government has this like horrifying form of population control, which is this self healing robot that kills everything. And I mean, I, I think not only does it, it you know, I, it's, you could talk about how it, oh, it's a metaphor for man's dependence upon technology, but I mean, it, it, also, it also could say that, like, yeah, we have a lot of horrible problems, but, like, the simplest solutions aren't always, like, the easiest one. Sure. Because the simplest solution is to have, like, a murderous kill bot, and, but it's like, no, that really sucks to be the person that it's going after. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good idea as long as you're not the one that, you know, this thing is, like injecting with insane fucking poisons well but I, I i do find myself wondering and again i don't I, I think it would be a problem to look at this movie and try to get some sort of like deep meaning yeah i mean this, this, is, this, definitely- is, this is definitely like a, a first uh, i don't think this is his first movie but it's like sort of a early movie from a director who's trying to figure himself out and yeah yeah there's a there's a, you could definitely say that some of the political messaging in the movie is very sort of ham-fisted and oh certainly it's really obvious whatever whatever but i but i think there's an aesthetic and a um even a, like a philosophical bent to the movie that mostly works actually but i but i do think one of the things in the film that i was impressed by is the idea that life good or bad just sort of persists yeah life finds a way <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but yeah the, the people are still living even in this fucked up totally uh, not worth living in world that they are living yeah, because and and that um in the face of this robot that they keep i mean there's no reason dylan mcdermott's a tough guy um, but there's no reason for his female interest 
whose name I keep forgetting. Yeah. Uh, for her to keep fighting back, but she really does. Like, it's they, really about her persistence and her tenacity. Because they, they say there's two points that I, I, I you know, in, in response to that, I like to make. It's like, there's the little, the little person who sells, he's like a shopkeeper, and he's like, he's kind of riffing on Shades and, and Mo, and he's like, oh yeah, like, you know, like, you keep going out there in the radiation, like, your kids are going to be all fucked up, like, you're going to make me, they're going to make me look good. So it doesn't really present there's, you know, these these characters don't have much to look forward to. Sure, but they keep persisting. He obviously cares. You know, him and him and this girl, they obviously care for each other. And then the one thing I like is it, it's it's almost like even though there's still that hope, when he's like trying to figure out her her art, and he's like, well, I think it means this, and she's like, why does it have to have a meaning? There's almost this, this like gleeful nihilism that this movie has. Yeah, definitely. That is is sort of like it, it's like it's like refreshing. And it's in like stark contract with like the tenderness that they feel for each other, because they don't have this like it's it's not this like weird like, you know. Loveless sex scene like it's definitely lovemaking, you okay. know, and, and it's it's portrayed as such. And I think that like despite the fact that the world is an irradi- irradiated shithole populated by people like William Hoodkins and these fucking robots that are trying to kill you. I definitely think it's like it, it, it. It's interesting that like these people still find something worth going on for. Because yeah. if life was that bad, I can't say that if I lived in that if I lived in that world, like if that robot tried to kill me, I wouldn't be like fuck it. I mean, like what am I? Sure. You know, I, I if I if I can have children, they're gonna be like they're gonna have like four arms and talking assholes. But it's like. It, 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 it it's it's sort of like a weirdly hopeful movie, even though it doesn't have the happiest of endings, but. Um, I like the fact that it does find that hope in like an otherwise sure like horrible wasteland. I I want to take a moment too to talk a little bit about the special effects in the film. Um, I mean, so because we've said I think uh, story wise it's a little light, but there's a lot to think about. Yeah, I think um, it looks good. Like a, the aesthetic of the it's really a movie that relies a lot about uh, on um, art design you know yeah, yeah, the yeah. sets and everything there's a real feel to the film that's established uh i thought the robot for what was probably uh, not a high budget film it mostly works there's a couple it, of shots where you're like Ugh. i mean it, it definitely doesn't look like what your classic killer robot look like it like it it honestly looks like that it looks like what you would expect a robot who was just thrown in a junk heap and built itself like a like a like a like a I don't know like a like a frame like a, a a superstructure out of like spare parts to kill people with like it has a certain like ragtag chaotic and yet weirdly utilitarian look about it like it looks the sure. way that if that thing actually existed it looked that's how it would look um, and I I like the I also like the fact that they use an actual robot. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm sure there were scenes where it was just something being pushed along, but there there seemed to be that there were parts that were actually working robotic parts. Like there was, like the the practice. There there is no. I don't think there's any. There, of course, it's not CG. This is like the 90s, but like there was no like stop motion. There was right. nothing like that. It was all like practical, you know, real time effects. The when when one of the characters is hallucinating, there's definitely a dude with a mask and gloves on that's sort of representing the robot that is not the robot yeah but other than that and i think you if you're paying attention you'll notice it and you'll realize that's supposed to be interpretive like he's hallucinating that but the rest of the shots yeah i mean they've got this thing and they're doing the best they can with it there's a lot of 
Dutch angles. There's a lot of oh, like so many Dutch angles. <laughs> so much choppy mid early '90s slow motion, which I love and hate at the same time. Yeah, um, but even like I would say also like the there's not a lot of gore in it, but the few gory explosions, like when William Hootkins gets fucking dealt with. Yeah. Is, oh my there's god. There's a there's a scene where someone is chopped in half by a door. That's amazing. That was done really well. There's a there. there it's not a an overly gory movie, but there's enough gore in it that I'm kind of thinking that. I'm so uh, I'm surprised it didn't have a rougher rating. Maybe just because like the gore that's in what it was like was this PG thirteen? No, I think this was R. But I mean, you know, uh, England was pretty uptight. You know, like, yeah. And again, I I I can't stress enough that the stuff that Hookins was saying, I'm I'm like surprised. Like that yeah. alone should have given it like an NC seventeen rating. It's a gritty film. It's it's again. I don't know that it's uh, always captivating in all the aspects of the film, but for me. Oh, some of the stuff that's a little bit slower works because it's like setting the atmosphere. Yeah, the, 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 I don't. I, it's again, it's it's not like a like a, a standard of technical filmmaking, but I I would definitely say that at no point doesn't fail in what it's trying to do. Sure, 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 sure. It what what it really is for me now that rewatching it um, and thinking about it, it's just further evidence of like Richard Stanley should have had a goddamn career. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and if you look at his IMDb, he did other things that I haven't gotten to see, but I think there's a reason I haven't gotten to see them. You know, like they were smaller productions. It's kind of a tragedy that he he doesn't have like a like a greater legacy than he does. Is like it's like the Doctor Moreau shit just killed him. Yeah, it's like you know we talk about how like I, I think we talked about like an earlier episode is when we did um, the anthology films, like we did Yuzna's Necronomicon, yeah. and it's how like Brian Yuzna's name always comes up in the horror circles, and you're like. What has Brian Yesna done that's really been great? Right. You know what I mean? Like, not much. Like, yeah. So I, it's like uh, it, it, Richard Stanley should be a name that, like, maybe uh, you know he's not directing big budget. I mean, that was probably the problem in the first place. But maybe he wasn't going to be the next Spielberg. But he should be like getting money at hard conventions and i think he, yeah he's not even really at that level it's like there's hardware there's dust devil and then it's kind of like well that's it yeah you yeah, know? yeah. And, and and again like i said go to his indb he has other films i haven't seen them i'm kind of thinking i'm gonna try to see some of them but no one's ever been like uh, uh, maybe this is just the thing and maybe i'm ignorant but i i don't believe there are these secret Richard Stanley fans who are like, no. oh, you don't know his his underground films have been so his good. Student and his student film uh, that he made in college. I, is I, like I fucking... think he's probably someone who just didn't get the support he needed, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I, uh, See yeah. Hardware. It was it's yeah. pretty good. Again, it's, it's hard to recommend it too hard because I think it's not going to work for everybody, but you know, if if you want a a, a, <laughs> a post apocalyptic cyberpunk film that has yeah. weird trippy moments, yeah. If if you want to see Dylan McDermott make, making passionate love to a woman while wielding a robot hand, <laughs> this movie's. I I honestly didn't think before this past Tuesday, man. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see Dylan McDermott fuck while William Hookenzolver's disgusting commentary. That's what this movie is. I love how this is all you're focused on. Is He's, this one, dude? I really thought the uh, oh I really God. thought the uh, climax moment in the bathroom, and by climax, I don't mean sexually. I mean of the violence of the. Oh film. yeah, 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 yeah. That I thought was pretty well shot too, actually. I oh, in in, in the shower where it's like looking up and seeing yeah, the infrared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I I, I kind of like the uh, when she's like beating it to death, quote unquote, with like a like a baseball bat is like um it's like a less violent version of when D Wallace beats Cujo to death. <laughs> sure. But um I mean it's also kind of ridiculous because it's a fucking robot and she's hitting him with a wooden bat, but you know, whatever works. She's just trying to do whatever she yeah, can. Yeah, it's survival that. of the fittest. Like 
<sighs> so I think that's good on hardware. You want to jump on to... Yeah, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about uh, 1994s, we I mean, think. Well, who gives a uh, fuck about Death, Death Machine? Machine? It's a shame. I mean, let's, let's end hardware saying, of the two movies today, I would rewatch hardware. Yes. I, 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 I still have a soft spot for Death Machine, but yeah. All right, we'll be right back. Chank Industries, designers of the world's most advanced defense systems. I understand the deep emotional reactions to allegations of illegal projects. A corporation on the brink of disaster. The hard man project just doesn't work. And might understand that those demonstrators outside might actually have a point. I want every suspect project shut down. Now, from the hands of a madman. What's it like to feel stark terror? An unstoppable weapon has been unleashed. The ultimate fighting unit. No mercy, no pity, no fear. Order to chaos. He's on fear. The more afraid you are, the sharper its trace. How are you gonna avoid being eaten alive? Of the death machine. And we're back to talk about Stephen Norrington's 1994 Japanese-British science fiction action horror film, Death Machine. Death Machine. And as I just found out in our found out in our break, Stephen Norrington, this was his directorial debut, but right. he had previously worked on special effects for such films as Aliens. Fucking shocking, because this movie is uh, basically Aliens meets Terminator. Yeah. Life Force. Uh, yeah. The Witches. Okay. Yeah. Split Second, which I love, and Hardware. Yeah, no, how about that? No, that's surprising. How about he, he, that? He only directed a few more movies after this, including League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And, uh, he did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, isn't that on his? Oh, you don't have his eye. I don't have his eye. I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I Wikipedia the actual definition. All, all he none of his movies are good. No, I looked. He's directed five films, and they're all bad. What else did he direct? I don't remember, but I know that one of them is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Did he do Van Helsing as well? No. He did Blade. He did the first Blade. Oh, I'm sorry. So he All did of one his good movie. Except one he did bad. one good movie. Okay. I forgot he did Blade. I should yeah. remember that. My bad. Sorry. Okay. Um, so, uh, Death Machine. Death Machine is a movie that if you took Aliens and the Terminator and blended it together, you would get Death Machine. It's a movie about, uh, it takes place in the futuristic year of 2003. Um, there's this. Uh, it opens up. The opening sequence is actually kind of cool, like with the diner and like there's this like it's like this like cyborg super soldier who just like killed everyone in this diner, and then the security team for this corporation that made it they show up they deactivate them, and then it's revealed that this uh, weapons and this weapon mega corporation Chank Armaments, which I feel comfortable sa- I feel uncomfortable saying Chank. Um, it's recently been revealed that they have a new CEO because the prior seat, previous CEO was murdered in his office, and as they just casually throw out there, apparently by a shark. Like no one investigates that further. The guy was attacked by a shark in his office, and they're fine with that. And then it turns out that um, 
the CEO is this like attractive young woman, so no one really respects her because the future sucks as much as the present does. And uh, it turns out that what killed the CEO was the robot that was created by the head director, Jack Dante, portrayed to the fucking nines by Brad Dorif. Um, he created this robot that is like, he calls it like the front frontline morale devastator or something. And it's basically like a, it's like a, it's like a velociraptor made out of metal with like a bear trap for a mouth. And that's a good description. That's, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, there's like, like, you know, at the same time, all this is going on, these like eco terrorists break in and they're going to do this shit. They get trapped in a building with this thing and they have to evade this monster. Um, it's, that's, that's a good description. I mean, it, 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 I mean, it, it, it does have all the same. Did you mention the man Borgs? Yeah, like the heart. That's what they find in the beginning, like the cybernetic oh, right, super. Right, 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 yeah. yeah, like so. I mean, it really does have all the tropes of like '90s like action sci-fi movies. There's, a, I mean, there's a lot of things up in the air here. You've got the man Borgs, which uh, uh, they're not called man Borgs. They're called <laughs> the term in the movie they use is. Uh, Project Hard Man. The Hard Mans. The Hard Men. Okay, first of all, as soon as I see The Hard Men, I'm like, this movie cannot be real. Yeah. This is not a serious thing. It's insane. They are just, it's, the outfit is, let's just take a dude and put giant plastic shit all over yeah. him, including a gun. The gun that they carry in this movie. is the least functional all, thing ever. All the guns, they would make cable blush like <laughs> if you handed this to 90s cable he would go come on guys this what is fu- ridiculous what, what am i no a rob gu- liefeld character get me no, the fuck no out of here looks like this this isn't how guns look yeah they're they're that whole tube lo- i mean I, I actually would if you said you know uh, death machine was highly influenced by rob liefeld's art i'd be like, i'd be I'm, i would I'm say board. yeah of course yeah, no it was. shit yeah. jesus christ is steven norrington a fucking pseudonym for uh then, for, for rob then, liefeld then there's like corporate intrigue none of which makes any sense but basically the corporation isn't doing apparently if you make a bunch of manborgs that don't work who have giant cock guns um then uh, people don't like you but what ends up happening is um there's a new president of the company she's a ceo or president she's the ceo and she isn't quite as tuned in as everyone else is to the fact that brad dorif is a murderous asshole yeah and so it's like basically she's dealing with this whole issue of like none of their shit working and they've killed innocent people and all that aspect. She's, she's basically, she has like, I mean, and that's the thing is like this movie fails almost on every level. Oh yeah. 100%. But the fact is, is that like it, it, what it tries to do is actually kind of interesting. You have a character who is the CEO of weapons, of weapons corporation and they make clear she's immensely wealthy. She's extremely rich from this, but she's not comfortable with what they're doing and she's trying to shut it down. And when she's trying to shut it down, you have the, he's the head of the board of directors. Sure. Um, is Richard Brake's character, who you might know Richard Brake as uh, Joe Chill from Batman Begins. He was in, he's the Night's King in uh, Game of Thrones. And he's in like every Rob Zombie movie. Um, but he's like, you know, you can't do this. Something's got to let slide, man. She's like, she got the previous CEO. He got eaten by a shark in his office. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, she was covered in synthetic lubricants, like blah, blah, blah. Dante's got something in Vault 10. I don't want to get killed. Like, and you're like, okay, this is, and then she's reading the report and they actually say like, he, the report says well, he was oh, attacked by a shark. And, and by the way, he's also in cahoots with 
he, so he has a rival on the board like they don't agree on shit yeah but then when it comes to her they're like oh we should get we rid should of her. kill her and like, that would be Hootkins we have William Hootkins who's okay also it should be pointed out that every most of the characters in this movie have like horror movie related names uh, Richard Brake's character's name is Scott Ripley or Scott Ridley um, William Hootkins is just named John Carpenter yeah uh one Brad, of, one, Brad, of the, one of the uh, one of the um, one of the ego terrorists is named Sam Raimi. Named Sam Raimi. Uh, one of the board members is named Waylon. The other one's name is Utani. And then um, Brad Dourif's character is Jack Dante, which is you know could be taken as Joe Dante. Yeah, um, I, mean, I think all that's intentional. Yeah. Uh, well, no fucking shit. <laughs> but here's the thing about this movie. Okay. Um, yes, it's a killer robot movie, but all the stuff involving her character and Hookins and the other dude and all the stuff involving the eco-terrorists who BT dubs have the worst hair and there's no explanation and they're for smoking it. way too much marijuana the, the whole time all they do is smoke weed and very weirdly intricate and unnecessarily this like, movie by the way was on the video nasties list or I wasn't the video nasties because that had ended but it was like whatever the current version of it was yeah like yeah the, it was like a censored movie in England really Partly because of the weed. The weed was a major Dude, concern. Dude, they smoke so much pot. And not even like like joints. Like, like I can't even be... Like, there's one thing that's like one joint with like several smaller joints attached to it and then several other smaller we, subjoints attached to it. We're going to need to talk about them, but I want to get back to my point here. <laughs> if you take away their weed smoking, which is ridiculous, and their haircuts, which are a crime, and we must discuss them... Um, all of these characters, though, feel like they're in one movie, which is a serious movie. Um, it might fail. It might be ridiculous on its own, but it's it's a, it's aiming towards something more serious, yeah, like, yeah, more dramatic. And then um, I'm trying to think of how to. It, it, I don't role play, okay, <laughs> but it seems to me like when you are in a role playing scenario. If one dude's trying to be the asshole who's like super cool and yeah. shit, they kind of like wreck that, you know. And and I feel like there are other scenarios besides role playing where there's, you know, even just when you're a kid, and you're trying to play. There's one guy's like, you're like, oh, I'm Wolverine. That guy's like, well, I'm uh, Deadpool. An- yeah. I mean, I'm anti Wolverine. Yeah. Well, I've got unbreakable claws. Well, except for my special break on them power. You know, there's yeah. all. That's how fucking Brad Dorf feels. It's like Dorf is in another movie. Dorf is the chaotic. New, he's like he's like literally they all have a mission and Dorf's like fuck everything do 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 yeah. do he's in every room every room they're in they reach a dramatic point and Dorf just shows yeah. up being a complete asshole for no reason yeah he he's if, what's his character's motivation there's no motivation it's I need a book to understand why he has extensions like <laughs> it's it's literally like okay it's 1994 some dude who's working on this movie went to the mall encountered mall goths yeah thought they were real assholes and then built a whole movie around like he saw someone buying the debut corn record and thought i'm gonna talk to that person and see what <laughs> what they look like was that 94 jesus was it 94 i have no idea i don't know this dude could easily be more of a nine inch nails fan but the point is is that that whole idea of the 90s where parents assume that all these kids in trench coats listening to their bangy bangy music were just like rebelling like that they just they were they weren't people. They were just like rebelling because they were enjoying the feeling of like utter sort of nihilist. Like, what are you whatever. rebelling against? That's what Brad you got? Yeah. He is just rebelling for no reason. He's just angry at everything. He's like, he's literally like fucking uh, a precursor 
to like a Joker figure. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, like. But I, I think I think what 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 bums me out about most about this movie is like in typical Brad Dora form. Like, say what you will about the guy. That guy can fucking act. Sure. And he definitely like he's definitely the most like. Like I think he was, I think he was the only actor in this movie who knew how fucking ridiculous this movie was. No, it's not his performance that's fucked up. It's, it's the that actual character. It feels like it, this script feels like there were two dudes, and one dude is trying to write a serious sci-fi script, yes. and some other dude's like, and that's when fucking uh, da- Dor- Dante yeah. comes in and he just fucks shit up. Yeah, and you're yeah. like, why? Why is Dante doing that? What is going on right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like it's just it, it's just funny seeing like. It's like Brad Dor like there's like the main character who the actress I don't know her name but she's a, she's perfectly proficient she's fine. Yeah, she's and fine. There's a scene where she's talking to Richard Brake's character and again he tends to chew the scenery a little bit and goes a little bit over the top but again Richard Brake is a perfectly proficient actor and they're having this like serious exchange about how he's like don't talk to Dante and don't look into Dante's uh vault. He will fucking kill us. And he's like very clearly like terrified. And then, you know, she's like, this isn't what I signed up for. What about having a conscious? Like, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, hey, we're hard tech for a hard world. What can I say? And it's like, okay, here are actual characters with, for better or worse, some kind of actual motivation. She has like a moral compass she's trying to follow. He's trying to stay alive. And then there's fucking Brad Dorf who's just like, do you know what entropy is? Entropy is order to chaos. And then he has like Mumra action figures, and he's just like no, like that, that's what he like. He he just like he'll show up and give the go in these diatribes with the nature of existence. Even so, even the ego terrorists like these. The ego terrorists are also like someone in 1994 being like, I saw some punks at the mall, and now I'm going to make characters like that. And it's true, and they are as much a care like this whole film. It's set if you go by the the design of the outdoor sets and the technology it's supposed to be like in the future it's, yeah yeah it's actually 2003 which by the way is the past now yeah but it, it's the, oh in case you didn't know it's the future yeah. for that time but uh but the design for the outfits it's, it's literally someone was like well clearly all clothing will be like it is now in 1994 <laughs> in 2003 and we'll have the same types of people and my understanding of those people is eco-terrorist punk types are just pot-smoking assholes. But, you know, when it comes down to it, they're still going to do the right thing, which is like these guys, they're like, they, they're, we're going to die, so I guess we should not die. And I love how they have these, like, badass machine guns, and she's right. like, you, you have guns, shoot the robot, and they're like, they're blanks. We don't actually want to hurt anybody. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, just yeah. kind of funny. I was just like, oh, fucking great. Like, these, you know. But this is the thing with these characters, though. They are, even though in a movie without Brad Dorf in it, they are the goofy comedic like that yes they get serious but they're also kind of funny and sort of racist because the the clearly asian guy is played by a man who is not asian not asian by a fucking sight like, yeah 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 but he keeps he keeps saying karate poses Japanese and stuff and yeah whatever but the, the point i'm trying to make is that like they should be the far edge of the movie they should be the ridiculous yes part of the movie. they should be the, the absurdity of the movie and, and yet they are not because of brad Dorf's character <laughs> who again I'm not saying it's it's not that he ruins his character. It's not that someone wrote something rational and then Brad Dorf fucked it up. It's that Brad Dorf was given the script and he's just like, all right, well, I guess that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And he's just going nuts. And everyone else is like, man, this is some this is some serious material we're dealing with. And Brad Dorf's like, fuck this movie. I, do, 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 I do, love do. the parts where like Brad Dorf is like, 
when he first meets um, Kale, and he's like up in her face, he's like, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know? And like, she's very clear. Like, do you, okay, do you remember in The Dark Knight when Maggie Gyllenhaal first sees the Joker? Sure. And she's like, he's like up in her face, and she's like, get the fuck away. Like, and how like in later interviews, she's like, no, that was like the first time I saw him, and he was like up in my face. Like, when she's like looking off to the side, she's looking at Christopher Nolan to be like, uh, say cut, because this is creeping me out. And he's like, keep that fucking camera rolling. Like, that's how it felt in this movie. Like, when he's up in her face, and she's like, like revolted like i don't think that was acting because it's brad dorf just being like oh you were in uh sorority girls volume seven. Oh yeah what's what's that about like Gross. like yeah exactly like she seems like genuinely revolted by him as a person and not the character so we're we're getting so into this that i want to back up a little bit and make something really clear and you can disagree with me if this one you want but because I'm describing the ridiculousness of Brad Dorff's performance. And, yeah. Uh, you know, the various weird layers going on with the terrorist dudes and all this stuff. I might be giving off the miss uh, interpretation that this movie is not deathly boring. No, it it, it definitely like if I, it, this movie, I only have, I, I openly have like a nostalgic weakness for this movie. Right. Like, Parts of it work, and there are things about it that I found amusing, and in the right context, I could watch it, but when we were watching it, it was later at night on a weeknight, I was kind of tired, and it was not keeping my attention. No, It no. was just like, Jesus, like, uh, why? I, uh, and there's a few reasons for that. There's a lot of, um, you know, they get to the part in a movie like this where they're just being chased by the thing. That goes on for a long time. It does, and the, the thing about this is, like, the scenes, like... This movie had a lot of potential, and I, I, I still think the first scene when Brad Dorf is talking to Richard Brake about how um, he's like talking about this thing, and he's like, you're going to die now. He's yeah. like, you are going to die. And he's like, you see this? He's like, I have this thing, and it works like a dead man switch. When I take my hand off this trigger, my pet is going to come kill you. And he's like, he takes his hand off the trigger, and you hear it, somewhere in the depths of the building this thing running, and it's really fucking creepy. Yeah, that works really well. And then it's just like you could, you could, and it, it's like that, that, that's like super, like, oh my God. Like, but then that happens so much that it's like, there's that setup. First of all, the fact that no one goes, all right, well, until it gets here, I'm going to fuck you up, Brad. Exactly. Dwarf. He would be fucking dead by the time the Nobody, thing got there. Like, it, it, it's like they figured out the, the one sequence when it works. So we're just going to do it over and over again. And that doesn't work. Then this is the thing that got on my nerves. Um, the hard men yeah 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 it doesn't make any like okay so they get to a point where um there's three characters left they're really trying to survive and they're like well let's put sam raimi <laughs> into the fucking hard man yeah get up and he's gonna protect us which they make clear that it will kill you if you're not prepared for it and this is the thing about the heart all the hard man get up makes him do is march around like an asshole and yell, yell, and not see the fucking death machine. Yeah, there's definitely multiple parts where the camera lets us know he's like, "Oh, it's clear," and he goes and away. It's right, and it's the literally death right there, is right there. So I'm like, okay. Other than giving him cable gun, which they already had, which and, he can use once and he throws away, and a fucking chin strap. Yeah, what in the goddamn world is worth him having that outfit on, which is probably going to kill him? Nothing. It doesn't bring anything. It slows to the him table. down. It, it is. It's it, again. It's another part of the movie that feels like someone came up with the hard man concept. No, and no. Was like, all it, you know, you know what it is? It's someone watched Aliens and saw the power loader scene and was like, 
we we got to do that to defeat the death machine. Uh, that might be That's true. all that, that is. That is true. all that is. Like, regardless, it doesn't work. And no, it's not at stupid, all. Stupid, and it be, takes up a chunk of the like. Uh, uh, it kills momentum because at a point where they should just be running for their lives from the death machine, we've got fucking. Uh, corporal plastic marching around yeah. barking orders and it's like why is this even happening yelling, in the movie yelling like kills what little momentum yeah. there is at that point oh my god and he slows him down because apparently he just has because they say in the beginning like William Hookins like when you first see Hardman he's like no just it'll glitch and he'll and the dude just passes the fuck out yeah. so like they know that's going to happen they know that by giving this guy this costume they're creating a liability that's going to slow him down and they don't know if he's going to be able to kill this thing the the not only that like i mean obviously the stakes of the movie are they're trying to get away from the thing but the stakes of the specific scenes are always really complicated it's yeah like, why are they need to get in there again what are they doing yeah like they go downstairs they're like we'll go downstairs okay and that then it is, just jumps after them that is kind of cool though how they they're on like the top floor and oh, they're just like yeah, and then yeah, it yeah. fucking comes down and kills that cop like no that sequence was cool but then it's like why did they do so much there was so and much then they build just up go to back get inside. to an elevator yeah yeah and they're like oh it just jumped off and it's just like uh, again uh, you touched upon it but it was like you know if like like when richard brake is like standing there and brad dorf's like you see this thing i'm holding right here i'm gonna take my finger off the button and he does he's like and then a robot's gonna come kill you it's somewhere in the building it'll be here soon and richard brake's like begging with him like if someone told me in five minutes someone's gonna bring me a gun and i'm gonna shoot you but there's a way to stop that and that is taking this away from me he'd be fucking dead and I'm pretty sure Richard Dor- or Richard Brake could take Brad Dorf in a fight. So it's yeah. like it's only at the very end of the movie when they come upon the simple solution of just fucking take that from him. You know what I mean? There's numerous times where they, they have guns on him and he's like talking shit and it's just like, no, just put the gun on him. Even the death machine itself, um, and I'm assuming this is a limit of the special effects, every encounter with this thing is shoot it, shoot it, shoot yeah. it. And then one close-up of one person getting fucked up and then yeah. just shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And I'm like, we couldn't come up with any other scenarios like drop a wall, put a barrier up. Like, yeah. even if it's not going to be effective, like help establish for us the scale, the scope, and the stakes. And instead, it's just, it's a death machine, so let's just watch these people get chased in various and then exciting like, scenarios it, it, for a it's, long time. The, the, the only really cool death that you see is like when Hootkins gets it in the elevator, because I think I was still coming down off me hating him and his death was extremely satisfying when he's just like, it's basically like they're in an elevator and it like chewed a hole through the bottom of the elevator and it's got him by the fucking neck. It's got like a bear trap around like his like shoulder and neck and he's like sitting there like looking at the rest of the people like begging for help and then just fall through the bottom of the elevator. Everyone else dies, like Richard Brake dies, they don't show it. The, uh, the, I've refused to say the Japanese guy because he's not fucking Japanese. He's not Asian. He's not Asian at all. He has a fucking Japan, the, this rising sun paint on his face. When he gets it, it's just this like quasi artsy slow motion shot of the things like creepy fingers. But it's like you don't actually see for a movie that like that that's so reveled in like horrific imagery and like 90s excess, you don't see like they could have done some like real shit with like gory stuff for this movie and well, they just didn't but that this is the thing about the about that that I think is it sort of ties it all up for us this movie plays and I know it's not but it plays like a sci-fi original feature yeah uh, granted a sci-fi original feature from the 90s before the era of Sharknado <laughs> where everything is just bad CGI shark with yeah. washed up B movie star going oh my gosh but like old school sci-fi you know before it was 
S-Y-F-Y, yeah, which was it, actually yeah. the science fiction channel. Uh, they did original features like this, and when as soon as it came on, or honestly, it could have been a fucking BBC John too, because like some of the BBC stuff was like that, where the yeah, yeah, special yeah. effects. Yeah, I'm thinking of like Neverwhere, which had terrible special. <laughs> yeah, effects. but the production value on this thing is that level? Is that made for TV so bullshit? And like you know, that's fine. But when I see that level of production, then I'm like, all right, well then I'm expecting or I'm hoping for an excess of gore or something something Just that something. sort of some something that you're like oh this is the extra this is the whatever or, oh it's got this grid or whatever and like there's nothing it brings to the table no there's 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 no again like the only gore you really see is when like Hookins gets it and it, it, you don't like he just gets bit and then pulled out of an elevator like there, there, there are scenes where this thing is like they make it very clear that it's like it, it, it's main function is to bring down morale of the enemy. Like it fucks people up. Like it's got like knives for fingers and a fucking bear trap for a mouth. And it like I don't know. I just I, I want to see like I'm not like a gore hound, but like if you have that and that's like I want to see like no no choose somebody up like turn them into red mist. Don't like chase them and then like not show it. Like there's don't, no payoff basically. Don't be boring. I mean that's what it boils down to is that like. And again, I, I, you know, we're spending a lot of time, I guess, uh, complaining about a movie that most people will never fucking see in their lives. <laughs> but the the point being is that um, I'm ready to like a movie like this. I want it to like it. I want, and it doesn't need to be, you know, <clears throat> hardware has pretension to it, which is part of why I like it. Hardware is reaching for something and maybe not succeeding, but it has like an underlying sort of like higher goal or whatever. I don't need that actually for a movie called fucking Death Machine. What I need is a Death Machine killing people, and I, you know, that's and uh, again, if there was a little bit more, if the movie was less boring, if it had a little more like gore or something, a little less racism, a little less weird Asian racism, then I might love this movie again because Brad Dorf is so ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I'm harping on the Brad Dorf thing. And uh, partly because it's stupid, like his his what the way he's written is so stupid. But it's the kind of stupid I would love in a movie that was less boring because it's was bre- less like, awful. It's like it, it's like you look at like you look at like this movie has all the ingredients of something that could be like fun. And I don't mean right. fun as in like oh it's so bad it's good. I mean fun for like an early '90s movie. Like I, I keep coming back to this, but like like. Brad Dorff could like I honestly think Brad Dorff should should have won an Oscar by now. Like that dude when he, sure. he does like he, he does movies like he's like like he's just a he's like a really for he, he's just an awesome actor. He's a great guy. I met him. It was really cool. But like you see like The I, Exorcist three and you're like how the fuck did this guy, like this is like I don't think he has enough. Uh, we don't have to get on all Brad Dorff thing, but I don't think he has enough range. I think no, that, but that's I kind of like that about him. I kind of yeah. like that everything he does is like fucking ten from the gate. Like, sure. it's just like I mean, and he he even like my first exposure to him was the like, the X Files when he played the serial killer. Oh yeah, but he still yeah. he can still play like like in Halloween two. Like he's the only likable character in that movie. Yeah. Everyone else is just a yeah. pile of shit. But he's like the concerned father who's like take oh my my daughter's friend got killed. I'm gonna be the father figure she needs. And he can do that. He can do the Gemini Killer from Exorcist Three. He can be Worm Tongue, and he can be New Metal Dickhead from from the future in Death Machine. Oh my god! But it's like the rest of this movie is like if the whole movie was as insane as Brad Dorf, it would be 
a blast to watch. The character he plays in this movie really should have like a white zombie patch held onto his jacket by safety pins. Uh, you mean a Rob Zombie Hellbilly Deluxe patch? It's 94, so no. Okay, I mean, no, so this zombie. would be like, it, it would be like, you know, like that would be, yeah, Los Exorcisto. Like, you know, it's just like, yeah, like Thunder's Kiss 65 and Black Sunshine, I smoke pot and fucked that. Like, oh my God. But it, it, it's just, uh, I don't know. This movie's just a fucking mess. Like, if you are one of those people who truly believes in it's so bad it's good, you'll probably like this movie because it is a fucking tumbling disaster from the gate. There are there are a couple of moments that are that are fun. So I don't want to say the whole thing is just like awful, but it was boring. It was boring in a way that it it was really hard for me to engage with, and so I I can't yeah. I couldn't possibly recommend it. It, ha- it it has noble intent, and I think it has like potential. But ultimately, I think like it just it, it was so poorly executed that it's just like, what the fuck were these people thinking? Like, oh my god! All right, this yeah. is enough about Death Machine. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up here, buddy? Um, as always, Miskatonic uh, Institute. Oh yeah, so the, we missed it. This so is we, in November. We, uh, oh. I, I, and I don't know that anyone went looking for us, but we went to the first two. It was great. And then November, I don't know what happened. We just missed it. And yeah. I, I mean, I, I, there was a lot going on in November. I'm pretty sure I was busy that night. Um, but I didn't choose, even though there probably was good reasons for us to miss it, we didn't choose to miss it. Yeah. We just all of a sudden were like, Wait, Oh, shit. That was. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the December one, I think we're going, right? I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'll yeah, go. Yeah, we're, go- we're going to the one in December. So if there's, you're coming out for it, well, hopefully we'll see you there. There's also the Alamo Draft House, Weird Wednesdays and Terror Tuesdays coming up. Yeah. So uh, that's a that's been going on at the Alamo in Austin for, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. Yeah. So uh, there's a new Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn. And so we were talking about, I, I've just been looking at it. Uh, that's where me and Susan are going to go see Rogue One. We already got our tickets. So um when does uh, that come out? That's next week. Yeah, I think it's next week. Cool. We're going but we're not going the, the, like the Thursday. Okay. You know what I mean? We, we, John and I are probably going like Thursday yeah, night. So I, you better get on it. A lot of places are already sold out. He probably got a ticket already. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they opened a new one in Brooklyn, uh, a new Alamo Draft House, and they are doing that feature. Now I don't think when I say that they're doing Terror Tuesday and Weird Wednesday. <clears throat> the one in Austin has had the same programmers for years. I mean, for a long time, it was some people, and I think they traded it off. I think it was, uh, I'll have to look it up, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is that, so it's not the same program and that it's the same programmers, but uh, some local people have been tasked with helping to program that, and so we've been talking about going to stuff. I know the gate is coming up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you're in the New York area and you're uh, near the draft house, like, you know, uh, hit us up on Twitter. Maybe we can say hi for at something. I don't think we've we haven't actually sat down and like mapped out our schedule, but I know we want to go. Uh, if you listen to the last episode, Joe Yannick, he lives in that area, so he's going to come hang out with us. So I don't know if we'll record anything about that, but we'll at least talk about it. Yeah, it'll be so, it'll be something worth bringing up. Um, and as far as uh, anything else we're hyped on, I do want to say and I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but I'm hearing really good things about um, the eyes of my mother. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. The trailer was was kind of vague, but everything I've heard about that movie, everyone's described it as just like an absolute mind fuck. Um, just like people have said, it's like tough to watch. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll watch it. Um, 
just because of all like the, not, not I don't want to say hype because that has like negative connotations, but there's been enough said about it where I'm definitely like, okay, for better or worse, this has got my attention. I'm definitely intrigued by it. Sure, sure. Um, I really want to see. Um, I'm still stoked on catching the void. I haven't got to see that yet, but uh, I am thoroughly excited that the autopsy of Jane Doe is getting a theatrical release. Yeah, I saw the trailer came out. It we could. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. There's a um, special sneak, whatever, at the IFC Center, and the director's going to be there. So let's go. We'll have to look at that and see if we can go. Yeah. Um, I I hear nothing but good things. So yeah. Um, I also want to make sure we take some time to say uh, there's a couple of shows that we interact with that I think we are fans of that we want to say what up. So what up to uh, Final Girls and yes, horror show and uh, is there anybody else? Vincent Price's laugh. Vincent Price's laugh. Yes. So they are super nice and yeah. super supportive, and I like their show. Um, and you know, just people who've been supporting us for a while too, like Nerds of Nostalgia and whatever, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, as always, Cinepunks. But um, uh, of course, of course. But, but yeah, just like you know, it, it, it's just uh, there, there, there was kind of inter- interaction with the uh, the guys in the horror show, like horror podcasts for a for a while. It was like it was guys like Brad Dorf's character in Death Machine, like super bonery, like corny motherfuckers. Sure. Like kind of misogynistic. Yep. Kind of sort of homophobic, like broish dickheads. That wasn't cool. And I'm just so left that there's all these podcasts where people like are actually like conscious of like the fucked up things that go on in horror movies. Yeah. And like, I'm not, um, I don't interact with them. Like, this isn't a friend shout out, but I will actually plug. I also really like, uh, the faculty of horror. Um, so if you haven't checked them out, but the idea that, yeah, I'm, and we're not gonna, we're not gonna put anyone on blast, but we've definitely checked out some horror podcasts where I'm sure they're nice enough people, but that sort of like, yeah whatever like uh, we're not into saying shitty things about women we're not into making people feel bad for their sexuality like and 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 don't get me wrong i watch some fucked up movies yeah i i watch a lot of terrible movies but at the same time i think in this day and age especially with the fact that we now have a white supremacist as a president-elect people need to watch what they say and not out of like censorship or like oh fucking pc social justice warriors but like just don't be shitty people well, yeah, and like the, the the this is the thing I don't. We're not going to make this a political episode, but just to end with the idea of like, look, there are a lot of people who love these films, but have been alienated from um, that discussion because the these films, just like any films, it's not like horror movies necessarily are that unique, but they've catered to a certain kind of person, they've catered to a certain kind of perspective, and then sometimes they eliminate voices, um, but. There are exceptions to that too. There's, you know, um, different kinds of horror filmmakers, and and now we're hoping of wider variety of creators are making a wider variety of movies. But uh, along those lines, big ups to uh, Graveyard Shift Sisters. Yes, which, who uh, I I want them on the show. Ash, I, so uh, so I think so. Ashley runs that website. Yeah, and, yeah, and she has a bunch of people write for her. I've. I think I've met her before because she's friends with Jenny Dreadful. Yeah. We want to have Jenny and Ashley on the show. And then, um, so there's three young ladies who are friends with each other who, (laughs) and I know Jenny and I know, I I think I've met Ashley. I've almost met both of them at Monster Mania and missed them. Yeah. And then there's a third young lady who on Twitter is Frosty and I don't know her name. mm. 
and I feel bad that I don't know her name because I think I've actually met her too. Oh, that's the worst. But just really briefly. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm bad with names. It is what it is. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know that any of them listen to this podcast, so they probably won't yell at me later. But yeah. if you get a chance, check out Graveyard Shift Sisters and Jenny Dreadful, who's great. She used to do the, uh, you know, we were talking about the Final Girls podcast, but there actually used to be another website a while ago called The Final Girls that was those young ladies yeah, yeah. on a website together. We'll, we'll post like links to... Twitter and all that in the show notes for this episode because um, yeah. they're definitely worth uh, um, they're definitely just they're cool people all, all the people we talk about are like they're just wonderful people um, and there's lots more people we could thank but we got to wrap up at yeah. some point here I just do want to say real quick this has been um, you guys have talked about it on the Cinepunks um, there's a lot of people afraid right now fucking Donald Trump got elected president yeah. I just want to say uh, that horror business and Cinepunks Cinepunks Collective if you're scared because you're a person of color, LGBTQ community, or Muslim, or anything that isn't a cis white male, <laughs> like, we still love you. We still have your back. Fuck Donald Trump. Fuck the GOP. And fuck neoliberals. Um, we're here for you guys. And I know that might not mean much, but we'll always be here for you guys. And, you know, just everyone hang in there. <laughs> it's It sounds silly, but, you know, just... Keep it together, stick together, and watch out for each other. Yeah, it's hard. I don't, I, you know, this isn't, I think right now there's a lot of performing where people are trying to make themselves feel better or they're trying to whatever. And I know for some of y'all listening to this, like, shit wasn't that great for you. Oh, yeah, before. no doubt. It's you like, know, to be like, people were getting shot in the street for being black when the president was black. So, yeah. but I, but I think we all have to be on the same page with this. I don't want to look at the past with rosy glasses and say like, oh, well, uh, things were so great and now Donald Trump's going to ruin it. But we all live in a world where we're honest enough to know this dude, even if he didn't do the racist things he's probably going to do, yeah. he's also not going to be good at this job. No. So it's like, we and, and, and don't come at me with the fucking, oh, well, he's not going to be at the job, so he's not going to get stuff done. It's not that hard to fuck shit up the way he wants. Oh, we're going to go on a whole thing. Yeah. Suffice it to say, we are uh, all of Cinepunks is is here to welcome and and support you and to be a platform for your voice and to advocate for people. And again, we're you know we're a movie thing. Yeah, you know, we're not a politics thing. We're not, but, but we still we still we love you. We love everybody, and we just want everyone to. We want to be. We want you to know that we have your backs, and we are here for you. I mean, I don't love everyone, but I love a lot of I love people. Mo- I don't love white supremacists, but, you know, <laughs> fuck them, you know. But, uh, yeah, if you're not a white supremacist asshole, then you're my friend. Like, <laughs> So that's it. Um, I also have issue with vapors. Oh, my God, serial vapists. My da- my, I found out recently, real quick, my dad is a vapist. But that's fine, because my dad also thought he had lung cancer and quit smoking on the spot last year, so... I mean, the thing is... That's is, fine. The thing is, is I'm clearly kidding. I, I love talking shit on vaping, but it's yeah. actu- it's actually fine if yeah. that's what you you're, want to you're okay. We're gonna, we're, yeah, we're gonna walk that one back. We are the weakest straight-edge people ever. We are, yeah. <laughs> well, speak for yourself, motherfucker. <laughs> so, uh, follow us on Twitter at theharbiz666. You can email us at the same address at Gmail. Rate, review, subscribe us on iTunes. And uh, let us come hang out with you. Or come hang out with us. We love you and follow us on Facebook at the Harbiz six six six. We love Satan. I do anyway. I don't know about Liam. He's questionable. But um, Liam, do you have anything to say before we go? Uh, no. All right. Until next time, stay funky. <laughs> <laughs>